In the chill land of Nagaroth lies a realm steeped in malice. This is the home of the Dark Elves, the outcast children of Ulthuan. They watch the world with malevolent eyes, knowing it is their birthright to rule and the destiny of others to serve them, if they are permitted to survive at all. Yet the Dark Elves know that they cannot claim their glorious inheritance whilst the hated High Elves endure. They are two halves of a race sundered long ago, separated by the greatest betrayal ever to occur in all the ages of the world. Even should every other land bow to their rule, the Nagarothi will not rest until they have brought to ruin Ulthuan, toppled its temples, and driven the High Elves into the sea. On that day, the Witch King of Nagaroth will finally claim a throne long denied him, and the rule of the Dark Elves will spread to every corner of the world. Welcome to the Garage, you tools. We're going to make several promises for the next three hours or thereabouts. We're going to do the best we can to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you blood, despair, decadence, and savagery. I'm Chris Hugh. And I'm the one who knocks. <laughs> Did you recognize what those four items were? Um, no, you know what? I, I wasn't... I, I, I was listening, but I wasn't actually thinking about it. So they are the four Dark Elf seasons. Oh, that's right. That's right. I knew. That's very. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, hey, folks, it's Dave. Welcome to episode eighty-three of Garage Hammer. Yes. Um, for those of you wondering who that lovely maiden voice was in the intro. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to one of my former drama students, uh, Danny Garza, Daniela Garza, um, who agreed to come in early before school nice, and sit in my classroom for about 30 minutes and sit and read Dark Elf Fluff. She'll henceforth be known as Dark Marathi. Elf Danny. Oh. Or, or Dark Elf Danny. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, and she only had it for you know a couple days, and between schoolwork and stuff like that, and having no idea what exactly she was <laughs> kind of thrown into the uh, the throes of uh, she was you the know Warhammer fantasy world, huh? Just happy to help out Mister Whitek in his uh, insane little uh, podcasting game. Now, do your students listen to the show? Uh, a couple do. I know a couple do because huh. they've actually told me they've come in and been like that episode. In fact, when I was sick. Yeah. They're like, man, your friends don't like you. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so all the uh, all the uh, uh, the d- the dwarf hate that I was getting that last that that sick episode. Yeah, um, they were. Uh, they, so I know some some of them are listening, but they don't play. They just listen. No, I just think that they find it fascinating that Whitech is on a podcast, and I say Whitech because I. Never get called Mister. You, you haven't earned the. Uh, the it's title. not that I haven't earned it. It's just that it's very few teachers that get a a uh, you know. An, well, it's, an it honor just means everything. that you're you're you know friends with. Them. I think that's well. No, I am friendly with them. I am. An, I need. But they consider you a friend. Yeah, basically. The and, fact that a teacher, uh, a student, could call a teacher by their last name to me, culturally, you know, being oh, Korean right. is unheard of. You would never call a teacher by their just their last name. Oh, I know. And the thing is, like the teachers who they like. 
They do that. They do that. Yeah. The teachers who I think they fear a little more or the teachers who put up with no nonsense. Get, yeah, they, that title remains. But even then, I mean, I may be to their face, but I know there's teachers, and I hear them all the time saying, oh, this person and that person. And so, maybe they don't. Maybe it's just, I mean, at least when I hear them talking, and they sometimes forget I'm there. Because it's like I'm the cool teacher, and they like, and they. How hang. could anyone forget that you're there, David? Well, you know what it is, though. They're getting their conversations, and I'm doing my thing. Like I'm sitting working on the computer, and they start talking. Oh, I see. And every once in a while, I have to remind them I'm there because they start talking about their personal lives, and right. I'm like, I can't hear this. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hmm. But uh, so I mean, I just I you know, and I don't know if Danny's going to listen to this because I did tell her I let her know when it's up. So she can at least kind of hear what we did with all her stuff. Yeah. But if you are listening, Danny, thank you very yeah, much. Thank you very much. So um, let's get on with it. We need to thank our sponsors. Yes. Let us thank our sponsors. As always, we need to thank our sponsors, uh, Unique Gifts and Games, located in beautiful Grays Lake, Illinois. Yay. Cool Mini or Knott's Dark Age. Mirce Miniatures. Mantic Games. Guildpainting.com. And Battle Foam. Protecting your... Uh, I wonder how long I can do this. Uh, <laughs> Most impressive. I could probably slow down my breath a bit and stretch and that out more. It even longer. But there's already people who are turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> they skip forward 20 seconds People are pissed <laughs> I, Domus right now is cu- is cussing I know <laughs> Domus sure. is cussing I'm going to get a tweet from Kneecamp any minute From Rotor <laughs> <laughs> Dude what the hell um, But uh, alright So um, It's a dark elf review So um, following the Format that we have adopted yep. um, We do have People who before You know who have sent for some shout-outs. In fact, we've gotten two shout-outs and a bunch of emailed questions from people. And I do want to just... We don't have time to go into all of this stuff, but I want to at least acknowledge them and address them before we move along. But we'll go through those on air in a future episode? If we don't go through them in detail next episode, which is will be Dark Elves Part Mm 2, then we will do it soon after that. In a subsequent episode, Um, sure. uh, A gentleman named Linus Rydberg sent in... Uh, basically said that he's been with us from episode five or thereabouts, and he loves the show. Um, Thanks, he, Linus. He actually mentioned a few of his favorite things and then wanted to say thank you for After Ulanor. Um, we can read that in a little more detail later. Um, I kind of, you know, it's it's a little self-serving. It kind of makes you feel funny to sit and read well, all that. Well, it's good anyway. to know, if, you know what we're doing right. Right. Uh, basically, one of the things he says is he loves is the enthusiasm, and he realized it listening to After Ulanor. Is just the you know that's the, the that we that we really sort of kind of focus on the storytelling. Mm. We love the storytelling aspect of it as a, it's not just the gaming. It's sure. the it's the world here, the forging the narrative. Indeed, which he didn't use that term, but I just really love that term <laughs> from this. Um, we also got uh, a shout out from a gentleman called Nathan Martin, and um, he wanted to say thanks for the show again. He started listening late last year. Um, he's got a lot. He's got a lot of real life too, so he doesn't have as much, you know. So he just basically really enjoys it. And then he sent me um, an old campaign 
that he ran a few years back and sent me a bunch of advice uh, basically about time management, working with the map, the complexity of the game, and lastly, be sure to listen to your players, which I'm doing all of these things. Yes, you are. I'm really trying. So, you know, and he sent me his whole campaign, so thank you to that. Excellent. And then um, thank you. the last one, um, and I'm actually going to read this. I'm Okay. I'm going to I'm going to hold off on saying the person's name who 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 donated for a shout out mm-hmm. uh only because well I'll tell you you'll I think you'll know when we're done. Uh long-time listener, first-time supporter, I've got a few questions for you too. I was recently hired by GW as a manager for a one-man store. My store has yet to open. I've been spending my time prepping armies, helping out other locations and running the store's Facebook page. Here's what I'd like your opinion on. What can I do to make my GW store the best GW store you've ever been to? I've got ideas of my own and plenty of ideas from corporate, but I'm interested in what two seasoned Warhammer vets have to say. Uh, I realize that you both go to UGG for your GW purchases, and that that well, that's true. There yeah. are there are FLGS, and I've been banned from my local GW, so <laughs> let's not get into that. Uh, but if UGG was not available and you had to head out to a local GW, what are you looking for in that store? Uh, sorry, it's a bit long-winded, but I want a successful operation. I'm interested in your thoughts. Keep up the good work. Um, obviously, I think the reason... I, I, okay, I've gotten C&Ds from GW for just putting up my Garage Hammer t-shirts with the old pictures on it, which... Really? Dude, don't you remember when that happened? But they didn't have anything to stand on. We I mean, were at UGG, and I got a thing from Zazzle saying we pulled all your product because we got a letter from GW. It's completely different, though. Thing different is, fonts. I wrote them, and I said, could you please look at my thing, or at least look at the email that you got from them, and tell me what specifically they said we've done wrong because the font is a generic yeah, font. It's completely different. I'm like, that's my freaking face. That's my right, friend's right. face. And the name Garage Hammer is my show. It's yeah. copyrighted. It's my, I own it. Did they back off? I got an email a half hour later saying, yeah, you can reinstate all of it. It'll be up and ready to run tomorrow. Uh, We're so sorry. You, you won that corporate war. I didn't even have to win it. Zazzle said, okay, no, there's nothing on here that they're right. saying. It, basically, something must have flagged something. Um, but they basically went down the list of the infringements and said, none of what they say you're infringing. It, it, it doesn't not, hold any water. Well, it's not even there. You know, I yeah. mean, they, they, you know, uh, you know. I don't know. I don't know what they saw because they never actually told me the specifics of their complaint. Well, they backed off. That's the point. Yeah. So, but when I pointed out that the colors are generic, the font is—I mean, the font's from like Word, right? And that's my freaking pick. That's my right. face. Right. I own that. It's me. Yeah, they—they they don't have like the stand. So on. they were just like, "Go ahead, put your stuff back up." So anyway, so the GW <laughs> shop. So the you know, I was afraid to say the guy's name in case I don't know. I don't you know. I'm not cocky enough or, or self-important enough to think GW is listening. But last thing I want to do is get anyone, get any sure. heat. For it, it's a, a cautious decision. So I, I can understand They that. don't. GW does not come on any of these shows. I mean, right. Ben Johnson's not on Bad Dice because he works at GW. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get this guy in trouble. If he, if, if he knows who he is, if he emails me and says, go ahead, say my name, I'll say, it. We'll say it. Heisenberg. But <laughs> <laughs> You're darn right. Um, so here's what I want to do, though. Um, I don't have any suggestions right this minute because we just got this, and I, you know, we're recording now, and I want to get this uh, out. Um, but I'm going to ask that if you're listening, 
if you are on our forums, go to the show thread for episode 83 and let him know. And hopefully he's on our forums. And if he's not, you best sign up because that's where these things are going to be. That's where the party happens. Um, and I'm just saying to all the listeners, now here's the one thing I'm going to say, and I think you agree with me on this, Chris. Mm. Constructive criticism and stuff that he could reasonably, that you could reasonably expect him to be able to control. Right. Please don't send him emails about changing the prices or new bottles. New, mo- yeah. I mean, what can he do to make his store great? Uh, you know, he doesn't have control over the set of the hours. It's a one man store. You all know what those stores are like. But if there's something you'd love to see, he's looking for advice or suggestions from some seasoned gamers. And I know a lot of the people who listen to this are seasoned gamers, and um, and maybe even. Play games at a GW shop. Yeah. So I mean, this is. What this, would you like to see? Yeah. But I'm 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 just stressing right now because I mean I love GW. You, I know you do too. I'm you know, but I know there's a lot of people out here who play the game and love the game, and but they you know they they get they get heated when it comes to GW itself. And, their business model or their right. retail locations. Right, sure. And, so this is your chance to. Yeah. But Give this, some feedback. This guy is not, he, you know, he's not Mister G. He's not Mister Workshop. So don't, right, right. You know, don't don't give him heat. That's you know, that's constructive. That's not that key. I expect anyone on our forums. We have pretty nice forums. It's not, it's not the Warhammer forum. It's not Winesier. Right. I, yeah, I don't expect anyone to get mean, but you never know when someone just thinks they're going to be funny, and there's no need to be hurtful to this guy. Right. He's looking trolling. Will commence. How often does someone from GW come to any of us and ask for advice on how to how to have the store? Never. There you go. So someone came to us and asked. Be constructive, right? So, um, that's it for shoutouts. Um, I got only one stinking voicemail from Screw City. What you were at last week? Yeah, it was an eight-second message with six seconds of blank, and two seconds in the middle of someone goes, "Hello." <laughs> who who was it? I have no idea because like it didn't have a number. Like it, it just it was just like, male it was or a number. female. It was a male voice, and that was it. And I was just like, uh, "Okay." Do they sound drunk? Uh, a little, you know. Couldn't have been anybody. It could be have honest. been anybody. So I was a little disappointed. We haven't gotten any voicemails recently, hmm. and um, and and my request for whoever asked for the international number, I still haven't gotten anyone send me the international number for one seven five seven G H show six. That's one seven five seven G H show six one seven five seven G H show six. Call now. So if any of you listeners know, please let me know because I forgot. I don't. Dial, you know, it's it, like, isn't it like something like zero one one? I think it is, and then one area code, then the number. I think, but I'm not certain, and I'd rather not give an international number and right. have it be wrong. You never know if it connects. We should some, ask uh, international correspondent Greg Dan. I'm sure he'd know. Oh, I'm certain he'd know because he'd know how to. Well, he never calls me because we Skype, but but I'm sure they do more international calling. Yeah, uh, Greg you know, through Europe. Then. Greg, how do you call? The voicemail line. If you want to call the voicemail, <laughs> how do we line. call our own voicemail? <laughs> so, let's hit a commercial break. Get back and dive into this book. Sounds good.
Rock Superstore. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. Brian Steele, creative director of Dark Age Games and editor-in-chief of Ravage Magazine U.S., wants the Garage Hammer fans to head on over to CoolMiniOrNots.com and find some of the best games and miniature artistry assets the industry has to offer. From professional painting DVDs, art supplies, and a variety of amazing miniatures, from an assortment of different companies, whether you're adding to your own army or starting up a new game like Dark Age, Cool Mini or Not has what you need. And we're back. We're ready to talk some Dark Elves. What do you think of this cover? I love the cover. I think it's great. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, at first, at first, I wasn't certain it was Malekith, and of course, Christopher's like, "Look at that headdress. Who do you think it is?" Is it Malekith? I'm pretty certain it is. Uh, I don't know. I would dispute that because Malekith's armor. Assuming this is the, the post burning of his body, Malekith. Uh huh. You know, it's it's a sealed mask, and it, all parts of the armor are, are sealed. You would never is see it? any of his skin. Well, wasn't that him on the? Uh... No, that couldn't have been him on the old. Well, I, was his face burnt too? Uh, his whole body, from what I understand, was burned, and to keep him to keep that flame from consuming the rest of his body, they encased him in that in that armor. Oh, so it's not Malekith? Okay, then I, don't I like think it. it is. I don't think it is, but I could be wrong. Okay, then I like it because I was just like, it's not scary and imposing enough for Malekith. I, to me, it just strikes me as a, a dark elf noble or lord. Okay, then I really do like it because my only beef was it, it wasn't it, <laughs> it wasn't Malekithy enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the cover is cool. I can't quite make out who they've killed. It looks like Empire guys. It's, it seems always to be Empire guys. Um, it's the fodder of the Warhammer world, I suppose. It's just like armored guys. They're not Norse. And they're not High Elves because their ears are not pointy. Right. They look like, yeah, Empire. Yeah. Um, you got the Sisters of Slaughter in the back. The much maligned just showed up and everybody hates them, Sisters of Slaughter. <laughs> um, they've adjusted the look of the Hydra. They've got that war shrine in the back. It's It's pretty hot. I do like it. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty uh, dramatic. You've yeah, got the uh, the the witch elf holding the severed head in the yeah. background there. Yeah, uh, he, you know he's got the sword coming behind him. He's he's walking over the pile of dead bodies, and he's pointing out somebody. He's like calling out his right. next victim. You, yeah, um, yeah. Because I looked at him like this is great, and as I'm looking at more, I'm like you know it's it's not vicious enough for for Malekith, but as you pointed out, it ain't. So, but again. I'm not 100%. I, it, I, it, the thought never occurred to me that that was Malekith. Oh, I guess I just assumed it would be. Who else would you put on the cover? Because the High Elf one, that's not Tyrion or Kalidor. It's just a random noble. True. Oh, but look over here. Now, you know what? The sword isn't right either. 
if you look at the model for him, yeah, his well, it, it, uh, page seventy. He's got the big head dress, although I don't think it's the same, and his face is exposed in the model. But I don't know. I you're, mean, are you talking about the guy on the dragon? Yeah, because well, that says they accompany the witch king in the battle, and that's Malekith on the yeah, dragon. It's hard I to tell if that's a mask or a. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Face. And you know what? And and uh, next episode, because today we're talking fluff, and then uh, we're going to have our special guest on. Yep. And um, after that, uh, we're going to talk, uh, you know, magic, uh, magic items, mm-hmm. and uh, special rules. But right now, it's just fluff, and uh, so I suppose we could get into that. Um. What do you think of this fluff? Uh, it's, it's. There's a lot. There's a lot of it. There is a lot. Um, we'll we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? Let's let. I know. I know you and I. We've we've discussed it a little off the air, uh, and I think we each have a slight beef with it. And I'm going to call it a slight beef because it really focuses in one general area. You and I share the same major beef, but then yeah. I have a whole bunch of smaller beefs. Well, okay, well then let's kind of roll through it and we can we can find sure. where, find where's the beef. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there was um a couple of excerpts that that kind of summed up the dark elves as a whole. Yes. Which if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and read. Go ahead. Uh, thus do the Nagarathi make and break alliances in a careless fashion, knowing that their silver tongues can always be counted on to heal the wounds of the past. It is this more than anything else which renders Dark Elf society so opportunistic and impetuous. When the deeds of old can be erased by a cleverly spoken word, what need is there for integrity and law? Yeah. When you think about it, though, the elves are beautiful. I mean, you look at them, and I mean, even if you don't like, you know, because they're the Dark Elves, and we look at them, we could tell they're evil. Right. But I suppose... You know, I mean, they don't look like slavering lunatics all the time. I mean, in battle, I'm certain they do. When they're frenzied and they have the blood loss. Right. But I'm certain they could also, like you send out Marathi, you know, oftentimes Malekith will send Marathi on a job. I'm certain when she wants to look seductive and kind and nice. Graceful. And and graceful. I mean, they are supernaturally graceful and beautiful and all of this. what the elves are. Sure, right. Most races... They're, I mean, there's there's an allure to them that you know. You add that with it with you know, like you said, with a silver tongue, right. a beautiful look. Um, the, the I did I did like that part. I, I do remember reading yeah. that part. I like that a lot because it really does sort of get you that idea that you know, <laughs> who would make deals with them when they constantly backstab people? Right. Well, well, they have that silver tongue, you know. Exactly. That's pretty cool. What else have you got? The other one is uh, the world exists only for the pleasure of the strong. Yeah, well, that's that. That's that's that sums up their credo pretty well. Not not to dominate, you know, the weak or or to rule, but for the pleasure of the strong. That's Slanesh, you know, yeah. left, right, and center. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's after them mm-hmm. anyway. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. That really it's, that Slanesh is looking to get them because in forty k. The Eldar, their decadence, their focus on that. You know, led to their undoing. Well, and led to yeah. the birth of Slanesh. Right. And he is constant. I mean, the Dark Eldar 
are constantly taking slaves and killing people to offer them up to Slanesh to keep him off their backs. Oh, like, is that the story yeah, there? Okay. I mean, so... I mean, the, the, the Eldar are in the same way, but they do... Basically, it's just like this elves, how they use other ways to keep their souls intact. Right. As when they put those souls into the big monster, the big yep, robots yep. and stuff. Right. right. Uh, or whatever they're called. Because they're... they're Protecting their souls from Slanesh, who's yeah, coming to eat who's them. coming to devour, and it's, who I think uh, it's kind of a delicacy for him. Like it is the, those uh, those the elder elf souls. souls. Yeah. So once again, there's another link where a, 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 an almost identical similarity in story between the two. Now there are no dark Eldar or Eldar popping into this story, unlike the little stuff from you. That's saw not from, to say they don't exist somewhere in this universe, right? Which, which it, I find it interesting, though, that the, that it's that similar that. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. And this is part of the beef that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. With uh, the Dark Elves, you know, they kind of uh, tore away from Ulf One. Right. And made, you know, formed their own society. Yes. Part of that was driven by Malekith and his desire to, to reclaim the throne and reclaim what he thought was rightfully his. Right. But at the same time, a lot of those followers were poisoned by Slanesh through various cults, etc. Mm-hmm. And to give us the Dark Elves that we now know. Right. Do you think... We kind of chatted about this off the air. Is it reasonable to 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 buy into the fact that all these dark elves have fallen so far from grace, and to be so perverse in in their you know murders and rituals and everything that that they don't realize how far they've fallen, or maybe they do and they don't care? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I I gotta ask, and I said this, you, you gotta ask yourself, how crazy can you get? Like, do you, you know, at some point, do you just stop and say, wow, I am crazy, you know, and they're not stupid. So it's like right. they really believe that they should be able to do whatever they do. Now, there's a couple of passages I found in here that might help explain part of that. You know, it talks about how Slanesh is after them. The high elves and the wood elves have taken precautions. OK, the dark elves don't have any defenses against him. They are more than capable of devising one, but refuse to surrender their being to such a half-life of dulled senses and diminished sensation. The knowledge that naught but oblivion awaits in the end only spurs the Nagarathi to a wilder and more callous existence, for they believe a life lived without limitation or censure is their only compensation. So they're fully aware. They know that when they die, their souls aren't going on to a resting place. They're going to get devoured. So, so party it up while you can. Exactly. And it actually That's pushes the them to experience everything they can. They want to push their experiences to the ultimate limits, which I suppose could f- spur them on to a little more craziness. I, I, that makes sense. I understand that. Uh, and the other thing that was, and what I wanted to point out is in some of the fluff here is, um, and this has to do actually with some of their hatred of the high elves. Um and it, it, it talks about that same thing. Do you know how, how a base and abandoned you get? And it talks about how they plan on ruling the planet. Right. But first they have to wipe every single high elf off of it. Sure. It's, they don't want them enslaved. They want them all dead. Um, only the high elves have no hope of survival under the yoke of Nagarathi rule. For every dark elf dreams of a day when their ancient enemies will at last be scoured from every corner of the world. None consider the possibility that when the last high elf dies screaming in agony upon Cain's altar, the ultimate victory might leave a void of purpose that it is impossible to fill. 
On that day, the Dark Elves will learn just how much of their souls have been devoured by their ancient hatred, and they may not find the tally to their liking. It's pretty bleak. <laughs> Jeez. This whole book is really bleak. I remember when Chris was playing this, and I was just like, I really, I kind of hate them. And Chris is like, why do you hate them so much? And I'm like, they're the one race that really seemed to, and I'm certain there's other, you know, everybody makes choices. Mm-hmm. And I know they were tainted by a Anarian, and we'll get into some of this later. Right. But they seem to be the one race that said, we, they chose, they chose the dark path. And now that they're on it, they revel in it. It's like they chose to be evil, and now it's like almost like a contest to see who could be the worst. Well, I, I think that's a good transition into our other discussion. Okay. Um, Do you want to save this for after we cover some of the fluff? Maybe we should. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, want. I don't want to start off negative because there's right, there is right. so much cool stuff in here. Well, l- let me ask you this. Okay. So, the book opens with talking about the geography of of the Dark Elf lands of Nagaroth. Oh, actually, it, there's a little bit before this, yeah, that. There's some intro- introductory stuff. Right. And that I, let me, I, I did really want to okay, address sure, this sure. because, and I talked to you a little bit about it, um, the last few books, in fact, most of the books, like you read the Orc and Goblin book, and it's got sort of this neutral narrator. Now, obviously, there's a slight slant you know, towards the green skins because obviously the author likes them and the, right. the reader's going to want to like them. But it really sort of points out their flaws and their strengths. But it sort of keeps it. The history almost stays a little bit neutral. Uh, Lizard Men, it's almost like another, almost like a narrator. Like, like a history book. Like, like a history book. Yeah. They try to say the Dark Elf book doesn't really start off that way. Like they always start off about the glories and this, that, and the other. Right. But it's like. I think we all know. You had the, 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 we know about the Sundering. Yep. We know that they were cursed, that Malekith did all this horrible stuff. His mom is an evil witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know about this, that these guys were nuts. And they, you know, they tried to usurp the, 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 whole, the whole of Ulthuan. Failed. Uh, they and... tried to undermine it with these pleasure cults and all this evil, and they failed. And they got booted by the High Elves. And when I, I mean, you get into paragraph... Like two and three here, just the first couple paragraphs. It talks about how the history of the Dark Elves is one of betrayal, of birthrights denied, and retribution long overdue. And I'm like, okay, that's you got there a bit of you always get a bit of an opinion, sure. of a point of view of that. So, you know, the future they desire is glorious dominion, where the gleaming spires of their hated enemies are cast down. I'm like, okay, it's still neutral. It's because it's how they feel. Uh, it talks about how they were united, um, and then it says. Uh, those who would become the Dark Elves fought in the forefront, spilling their blood to protect Ulthuan, the lives of their kin. Still true. This they did unflinchingly and without fear, for they reveled in the boundless joy of battle. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a little, that's a little weird. But that's it's, referring to when they called upon Cain and right, it's, and it's still being, when Adarian yes. pulled the widow, yes. widowmaker and yeah, and it's still being honest yeah and and then all of a sudden you get down there uh where many elves were soldiers defending their lands and loved ones these were killers who delighted in the many ways of death and i'm like okay it's still kind of pointing out you could see a little weirdness here and the such ferocity soon came to be regarded with distaste thus when the threat of chaos receded those very elves who had driven it thence were played false by their peers and cast from their ancestral home and i'm like Wait a minute, that's not what happened. Nobody played them right. false. So you start to get in this book something I haven't seen in a few books, which is a very biased 
point of view. It's, this is really a dark elf point of view of their history, which was kind of refreshing. Because I felt like I knew the story and I knew like, – I, I cracked this open going, I know what I'm going to read in the right, beginning. Right. And it's like, well – no, wait, who played you false? Like, you guys tried to take over. You, it's a little revisionist you history killed there. killed Shinar, killed the whole council, right. stepped into the flames, and... and, and Got you know, denied. And the best part is that if you read The Sundering is, you know, when he gets burned and they save his body, and it takes him hundreds and hundreds of years to recover. Oh, is it that long? I think it was. It might maybe it wasn't that long, but I mean they live a long time and it took it did take years and years for him to recover. Huh. Marathi basically kept him and did magic on him and kept him alive while his body slowly slowly healed. And then they put that armor on him. Right. Which there was I mean I don't know if you've read that part yet. But not not in the books, just in the The magic ritual just, just I mean the magic ritual and he's in the searing horrible pain yeah. as they're screwing bolts into his bones right, right. and just slaughtering other elves sacrificing sacrificing them just to make this work and the pain and the blood and the hatred going into putting this stuff on him and I'm like wow and the worst part about it is as you're reading the the sundering series and I you know I it's the black library fluff so I guess it's yeah. canon right you know he doesn't realize that he was actually rejected by um, who's the god that they've walked through it for? Not Assyrian. Assyrian. He doesn't realize that his burns was because he was rejected. What does he think it is? Well, because he knows that Anarian walked through and he was burned in the flame, but he was able to endure the burn as he was purified and walked out whole. Right. He was able to endure the burn and walked out. He lived. So, yes, the burns were bad, but the fact that he lived, he still thinks that he's the rightful ruler and still okayed by Assyria. Yeah, that's crazy. And it takes until, and I won't ruin it for you, but it's in the third book, like halfway, two-thirds of the way through, during a battle, when he gets attacked by Phoenix Guard, and he thinks it's like the light of Assyrian coming to finally bless him, and next thing he's, ha- he's almost hacked down by them, that he finally realizes, oh, no, wait a minute. I've been rejected. I'm like, damn, how crazy are you? If it's taken that long to realize. Oh, my God. Because the book, it's, he, he falls out of the flame, and he's still on fire. And from what I understand, they apply the armor to quench the flame to prevent it from consuming the rest oh, of his no, body. No, they put him out and run out with his body. They just put him out. The armor doesn't get put on for a long uh, time. I, this, I think there's, a, there's a, a part in the army book where they make it sound like the armor keeps him alive by keeping that flame Oh, it does. Quenched. It keeps the pain and the yeah. heat at bay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they put it on. Maybe I. Okay, I did read the books right when they came out. Maybe I missed. But I could have sworn they didn't get the armor on till later. Because what's his name made it? Hotek. Hotek. And yeah, Hotek didn't get found out. Hotek was operating in Ulthuan for mm. at least 100 years because uh, that was when Belshinar is like. We need these magic weapons, and the magic weapon production was slowing down and slowing right, down, and right. he was saying there was problems. There were no problems. He was making that, telling them and putting them off and sending it to, right, to the, the Dark Elves. Dark elves. So that, uh, that suit of armor was not made for a while. It finally quenched it. I mean, it, I mean Maybe unless... Maybe there's a little inconsistency in the book. Un- in unless the army there's book. an inconsistency. I mean, it yeah. could be. I could totally be wrong on the fluff. So or, or, I guess or they just glossed over it in the army book. I don't know. Sure. But, it, but it seemed clear that the armor... Right. Kept it, kind of sustained him. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading that too because um, he does feel that burn on the. Uh, he still feels that burn, 
But I mean, part of the burn that he was feeling that was torturing him was the armor itself was, had, had to go on hot. Bolted on, yeah. And it yeah. had to go on hot. Yeesh. So, yeah, that was part of the burn and the suffering. But it, yeah, but. You know, he's kind of a, a, a Darth Vader figure in that sense. He really right? is. He's stuck in he's that like, armor. He's like, yeah, a monstrosity that's being kept alive by, by this armor. It's kind yeah. of a. It's kind of a trap, and it's a prison it's, at the same time. It's made him immortal, though, too. I mean, I don't know if it's the armor that's done it, but right. most, I mean, but the elves are, I mean, they don't all live forever. They eventually age, and they are not but, but now immortal, he's immortal. But he is immortal. Him right. and Nagash. Yep, yep. And the two sickos who both had their right. bodies trashed. <laughs> um, but he's also, you know, a good fighter, and he's a master oh. of magic. Oh, he's, so in a lot of ways, he is kind of like Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um... But then, yeah, you get this, um, you know, a lesser people would have been broken by the betrayal, but the Dark Elves are determined to survive. And it's just like, I'm reading this going, uh, plan that a deserved vengeance. And I'm just reading it. I'm like, I liked that this really, it didn't try to stay neutral. It really took the Dark Elves' point of view and ran with it. Kind of embraced it. Yeah, embraced that whole, right. we've been betrayed. We are the ones who were wronged. And, and it doesn't say it as... The dark elves feel they were betrayed by the by the high elves. It just says no, they were betrayed by the high elves. It, which, it's like the book is is grabbing you by the shirt and saying uh-huh. you are now one of us. You're a dark elf. Yeah, this is our plight. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. It, it, I like it that angle. Inundated it. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, it, all dark elves are long lived to the point of immortality. Um, you know all that, but I, it's it, I don't think I, I just I never get the feeling I, I could be wrong. But I did not think they were immortal in in this in the Warhammer world. Like the Tolkien elves are immortal. It says they are long lived to the point of immortality. Like so they live for centuries, maybe millennia. They, yeah, they could, but not forever. No, but not forever. I mean, eventually, and um, they, they, until they get an arrow in the eye or something. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. You know, immortal doesn't mean you can't be killed. Right, it just means right. you won't die of old age. Um, well, let me ask you this. Yeah, how what percentage of Ulth one do you think? Like, rebelled and eventually became the Dark Elves? Well, okay. Well, you know, most of Nagarith seem to have... I mean, with the exception of... I think only with the exception of Aletha Nar's family. I think all of Nagarith... Shadow Warriors here and there. Yeah. But so, Nagarith, which is not the hugest part of Ulthuan, but it's a good part. Um, Those cults did spread throughout Ulthuan. And anybody who was, you know, perverted by the that the the, the pleasure cults was tainted. Was tainted yeah. and probably ran. <sighs> but I, I guess at most, I I can't see more than a quarter of them going. That's about what I thought too. Because even though the, the the cults were there, they seemed like very subversive and under the radar. They were, yeah, they were subversive, underground, under yeah, the radar, not common. And, and I, I just find it hard to believe that literally half. Half the elves had been corrupted. Yeah, I, I don't think it was quite that many. And since they never say how much, like I guess I was guessing about twenty five percent. Right. It's funny how like the things like as we both read this separately, we've kind of came to the same. We came to the conclusions. same conclusions, even on weird things like percentage guesses. Right. 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 But yeah, I'm guessing maybe twenty five percent. That kind of even feels high. It, it seems that way, but they did get through because I mean, a lot of Marathi. She got a lot of these female. Uh, a lot of the nobility, the elven mm-hmm. nobility, mm-hmm. Uh, twisted them to her side, taught right. them magic, taught them all this stuff, and and 
you know, it's cult that, of excess. Yeah. They're sitting around doing nothing. It's so. that allure of power, and you know, getting some of that nobility. You know, they're going to bring a lot of their servants along with. They're going to bring the lesser elves that serve them. They're going to position of them. influence. So, I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I guess twenty-five doesn't sound too bad because, I mean, we're totally grasping at straws. Uh, yeah, right, right. But that's an, that's for the sake of our discussion. That's the number that. I want to keep in mind, 25%. Okay. Yes, and so I know, and I know where this is leading, yes. so yes. So we'll circle back to that. All right, so let's talk about Nagaroth. You've been, t- we've, they, yes. they list all these places. So I, I went through and made notes of the different major cities that they uh, listed, and I want to ask you, David, you are now a, high, uh, a dark elf, uh-huh. which one of these cities, after we went through these, would you want to take up residence and raise a family in? Oh, that's the question. <laughs> so, so bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> I have real trouble putting myself into those shoes because, like I said, I've always had trouble with this race. Um, raise a family in? Really? Is that even possible based well, on what we're reading here? Don't the dark elves have to procreate? They, they have to. How else do you do it besides raising um, a family? I mean, there's really cool places. Nagarond sounds really cool. Uh, I wouldn't live in Grand. I don't want to go anywhere near Marathi because she is... You know, rubbing peanut butter all over your naked <laughs> self, she's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, you can't go near Harganeth. Isn't that the place that? Uh, isn't that the place that? Um, that's where they have Death Knight. That's where Hellebron lives. I don't want to go there. Um, current car is that's that's one of the. It's the bleakest of all refuges. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. That's the Slaver's Gate. That's okay. Uh, maybe Hag Grief. It, that's the place with a lot of soldiery and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, not Har Kaldra. That's got one paragraph. Malekith wiped that that's out. That's just basically a big uh, crater. Yeah. Uh, maybe Clark Heron, the shipyard. Because then you, you you could be like, what's his name? The guy. Why do I keep forgetting the guy with the squid face or the squid mask? Oh, um Lokir Felhart. Lokir Felhart. I think isn't that like the place where a lot of that's the, the where they, arcs yeah, that's ship where they out? break all the beasts. Yeah, and then you could yeah. kind of that could you know that's the the whole riding on the arcs sort of like the pirate's life for me going yeah, out and getting right. but you know going out and getting slaves and treasure that at least seems like pirate stuff not just I'm going to sit here in this town and just kill, kill people each other. just walking right, around. Right. Yeah, that's that's the one I, I, that's probably the least dangerous of them all. But it, it's interesting uh you know Nagaron they talk about did you catch that passage where they talk about Malchus' throne room or, or his council chamber. I wanted to talk about this. First of all, his room itself, how he has the central bastion in the tower, there's no like no decorations. Yeah. Like he's sick of it. Like all the high elves have all, all black I mean, walls. All the, yeah. All the dark elves, they, 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 they live in this excess. They've got all the gold and the silver and everything there. And Malekith is just like all he cares about is destroying the high elves. He wants no decoration. He's got a chair and a table in his room right. and blank walls. And it's like, you know, people are afraid to go up there. Uh, and then they describe his throne room, the, the giant one piece of stone table with the hundred chairs. And the one chair in particular? With the dead bodies in it? Well, it's rumored that that one chair... So some of these chairs are made up of, like, flayed skin and hair and, right. and bones. It's rumored that one of these chairs is one of his kin. Possibly even one of his sons. Right, right. Now, wait a minute. Uh, I'm trying to find that passage because it is whispered that... No, one of the corpses, not the chairs. One of the one of the corpses in the chairs. Because he's got the hundred chairs for his counselors. But well, it says 100 chairs of blackened bone and flayed skin sit alongside. Some are occupied only when the council meets. 
So these chairs are made up of these body parts. Right, but others are permanently engaged, for their occupants are long dead, having displeased Malekith in ages past. So a hundred of these chairs, some of these chairs have corpses sitting in them, because he's killed them in the chairs, and the bodies sit there. Oh, is that and what it is? And then it says, I see. it's whispered that one of the corpses was once close kin to the witch king, a brother perhaps, or maybe even a son. Some of these dead counselors are desiccated and brittle, testament to their centuries of service. Which I'm like, wait a minute. If you're dead, how are you certain? I'm trying to figure this out. Others are relatively fresh. I love that Malekith just walks around the perimeter and doesn't sit in his chair. Right. That reminds you of that scene from um, The Untouchables. Oh, Al Capone, Where Al Capone is walking around the chair yeah. with a bat, and, he's gonna, and he bashes it. You don't know who he's going to hit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then he stops and has long conversations with the dead bodies, mm-hmm. and everybody's too afraid to ask him if he's just messing with them or if he can actually commune with the dead. And they don't answer the question. He's, yeah, it's definitely crazy. But they actually say here earlier that they're testaments to their centuries of service. Now, unless Maybe it was centuries of service up until their demise. They, I, but it's it's very ambiguous and from a from a writing standpoint like right. I said and I'm not trying to bring in my English I'm not putting on my English teacher hat and going to the after that's for after Eleanor mm-hmm. but they left this so intentionally ambiguous that you don't know if he's talking to the dead he's got powers he's got powers these other elves don't understand um could very well be it's kind of cool kind of cool and it's it's kind of scary it is and that place has got to be rank oh well, if the bodies are desiccated and dried up, they don't stink. Some and are fresher than others. Some are fresher than others, but it is really cold there, too. So it can kind of keep the worst <sighs> yeah. of the stink out. Cold to the point of frozen? Malekith's whole body was burnt. I don't think he can taste or smell either. I'm, yeah, I'm, but the other nobles surely can. And Malekith cares. <laughs> you know, like, like he cares true, if it stinks. True, true. I mean, it actually, there's a great, uh, nor do any question the need. Okay, they talk about having this council and how he talks to the dead bodies. None have questioned the need for such a council in a land bent to one supreme rule. It's simply Malekith's will, so it's done. I mean, this place is unlike any other place. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Slans, have, they, they, they make their pronouncements and they shouldn't be here. And people just right, follow right, it. Right, right, um, right. You know the dwarf king makes a, st- but there they have co- people. Well, actually, there, it, there's no other place where you have someone in such complete command as Malekith. True. I mean, I suppose Nagash would have had that type, but he's commanding the dead. I mean, outside right. of commanding, Not quite the same. yeah, outside of commanding the commanding mindless slaves, he wants it. It happens, and every single dark elf knows better than to question whatever insanity he throws at them. Do you find Malekith to be a strong enough kind of anti-hero to to be the like leader of the whole Dark Elf effort? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean... You think so, but you're well, not sure. Well, I mean, I, I guess it depends on what you mean. Obviously, he's... I mean, the Dark Elves rule by the strong take what they want. Didn't you say that? The, the, the pleasures of the strong? The world exists, exists for the pleasure of the strong. You read that part where Malekith was sitting in his tower and then the, the, the Inkari and those other Slaneshi demons were rampaging, killing everyone right, in the town. Yeah. And he walked down and it was like, die, die. And then Inkari grabbed him and he just laughed at him, die. die. When you got that kind of power... I mean, who else would rule this place? I mean, whoever, the strong survive, you take what you want. It's their credo. 
if anyone could have taken it away from Malekith, they would have. They don't have it. I mean, he's. I, I guess it's it's his motivation that I wonder about. Like it's, it's to reclaim Ulthuan, right? And, and to reclaim Ulthuan, and then wipe out, and then rule, wipe out the, dark rule the rest of the world from Ulthuan. I don't because he's not he's not looking for the gen. It's it. This isn't this isn't the Space Marines. He's not wiping right. out every other race. He's wiping right. out. Like, he doesn't even care about the wood. He wants to oppress every other race. Yeah. They, they will serve him. They will be his slaves. Right. They will do whatever he says. He wants to have someone to rule over, and he will rule over the whole world. It's just wipe out the high elves. And let's face it. Every one of these dark elves wants to move back to Ulthuan. Ulthuan is still a beautiful, wonderful place. Right. They're living out in the frozen north. The frozen I mean, tundra. Yeah. Let's face it. Nagaroth sucks. Or Nagarith. Or no, Nagaroth. Nagaroth. Sorry. Nagaroth sucks. I mean, it's cold. Chaos crap is constantly attacking you. Right. There's sea monsters everywhere. Everywhere you turn, the the, 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 the the nature itself is trying to kill you. They don't want to be there. And Malekith is their best chance at getting back. I think for a, for a race bent on revenge and destruction of anything that gets in their way, he's pretty much... He's a, I guess he's the only one that could lead in, that, in those conditions. Yeah. I mean, even Marathi couldn't hold all this together, I don't think. And, I mean, they're afraid of her, too. But they follow Malekith, and a lot of them follow him happily. I mean, there's, Or because they have to. Well, yeah. I mean, there's fear there. Fear of reprisal. And I think that, you know, those who are afraid follow him knowing he's strong enough to lead them. But there's also those who just, I mean, the same as those who follow... Cain, like the the witch elves who right. give it themselves to him with reckless abandon. He is the thing. There's got to be those types for Malekith as well. Hmm. And the ones who don't, it actually describes how they got all them dead bodies lined up down the down the streets. Yeah, it's, it's they, it paints such a just absolute bleak picture. Every city, it, it, time and again, it's there's like no sunlight. Everything's made of black basalt yeah. stone. There's um, corpses piled up everywhere. Well, those corpses piled up on the path to his palace are the people who have... In fact, it talks about... Hold on. There's one that... There's a part, a part that talks about... Well, the names of power was a great little sidetrack where they don't care about their surnames. They pick their own titles. Right, yeah. Um, but now they use the titles. They pass the titles down from generations just like surnames, so it's kind of silly. Sometimes you have this like grudging respect for your enemies. There's a whole passage about how um, friendship is considered a weakness, but sometimes friendships do pop up between dark elves, like mm. uh, like rivals. They're like a respect, but not not enemies, but ones who wind up actually becoming friends, and they hide that friendship because it's seen as weakness, and they don't want the other dark elves to go after them. Jeez. But um, you know, and but even when you kill your enemies. They said if you have a respect, if it's a, if it was a worthy enemy, you will take the body and you'll bury it. But that you know where it's buried, you can go visit it. And it says anyone who's tried to take the throne from Malekith, he's had kill, he's killed them, right? And he's had their bodies placed on that walkway up to his place, just like the reminder of everybody who's tried and failed to take it from him. It's <laughs> all the potential usurpers, huh? Yeah, taken out. It's crazy. It's just. It's nothing but violence upon violence upon violence. It's really kind of scary. Well, he, it says here uh, he provokes discord for anarchy serves to weak to weed out the weak and thus make his people stronger. Yeah, and that happens a lot. When you read about these battles, he throws the chaff in and says, okay, well, 
if you don't live, you weren't strong enough to be one of us anyway. Right, right. Um, and that's a, that's a recurring theme in here of weed out the weak. He also promotes that anarchy because it keeps it, it, it keeps it, him in control because everyone's at each other's throats. He keeps them at each other's throats, and so he's you know by, by creating rivalries. If anyone gets too strong, he can back the rivals quietly enough to take out any real threats. Mm-hmm. Which seems to be to be one of the main reasons why he can't take Ulthuan, because every time someone rises up and gets strong enough, maybe someone who could work with him and be strong enough to win, takes him out. He feels the need to take him out. It's so like uh, Orc and Goblin animosity on a grander scale. Oh, it definitely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I found depressing and interesting at the same time was the whole Death Knight of Harganeth. I remember reading that. That was the reason I wouldn't let Harrison read that when he first started playing at like seven or eight, yeah. and he could read the books. I'm like, you, you're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to read the demon book or the dark elf book. It's too much for. Yeah, it is. It is over the top. So what they do uh, on Death Night, I guess it's once a year, is they release all the slaves into the city, right? And all the uh, the witch elves just go nuts and start hunting all these slaves. And the next morning, whichever witch elves are still standing are captured by Crone Hellebron's elite guard and brought back to her palace. Um, and then it says, These they drag to Hellebron's chambers and the great brass cauldron therein, whilst other hag queens choose to bathe in the gore of maidens and innocents. The blood queen of Harganeth favors only that blood which is spiced with the corrupt insanity of Death Knight. So she's bathing in the blood of her own witch elves. Right. And obviously she doesn't get all of them because there wouldn't be any, but it was just... It says they gather up all of them that are still... It's just, oh. I mean, there's another piece of the fluff that talks about Death Knight, about how, you know, they break into houses and 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 that they can get into and steal the elves out for the slaughter and stuff like that. So they're not just of their own. You mean yeah, their own dark elf. Yeah, kin? yeah, yeah. Um, under the direction of their hag queens, they steal away any dark elves they find, often breaking into houses to drag the inhabitants to their bloody altars. So. They're killing. I mean, basically, if they find anyone on, on Death Knight, every dark elf, even the most nasty dark elves, lock their damn doors and hide inside because the witch elves have lost their minds. If they find anyone on the street, not just slaves, they find anyone on the streets, they're taking them out. It, you know, it, it makes you wonder: Do dark elf children? Have any sort of chance? How do how do you live to adulthood, especially when doesn't it take? I mean, it's not centuries. Like they, yeah, they don't mature like we do. You're not a full grown adult, but I mean, at least physically, by the age of twenty, are you? I mean, they they I mature. Mean, I would more. think maybe like two hundred years, you're an adult. Something yeah, like that. I don't. I mean, I don't know. That does that's that's not addressed in here at all. Right. But seriously, how do they? Live? I mean, there's another here. Where's the other passage that we were that's in here? Um. Where the high elves treat warily with the lord of murder, Cain, the dark elves embrace him with abandon, sacrificing slaves, comrades, and even their own children to catch his attention, even for a Jeez. moment. I mean, how many? I mean, we just uh, the point is this passage has come up over and over again. Right, they kill anything, but it's daily anyone. living. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's daily life for them. So the the, the Hagri passage reads. Cramped conditions combined with the dark elf peremptory nature ensure that rivalries flare into violence with alarming regularity. Right? Those who do not walk cautiously through Hagrid's webwork of streets have their throats slit and bodies heaved into the morass of sewage and rotting flesh that covers the canyon floor. Now, who would not want to raise a family there? Oh, I know. Come on. 
Come on. Go to the market, risk having your throat slit. Yeah. <laughs> Comes with the territory. Hey, Jimmy, run down to the store and get me a half a pound of butter. Hell no, Ma. <laughs> right, right. <You> know? <laughs> Let me just put on all my armor. and. Oh, no kidding. You know what? We've been running here. Let's take a break. Yes. And come back and talk about the Dark Elf history and the annals of the Black Tower. Sounds good. The elves are cursed to have their souls devoured by Slanesh when their mortal bodies perish. The high elves and the wood elves have taken precautions to guard against this fate, sealing their spirits away in waste stones and elemental creatures. The dark elves, however, have no such defense against the dark prince. They are more than capable of devising one, but refuse to surrender their being to such a half-life of dulled senses and diminished sensation. The knowledge that naught but oblivion awaits in the end only spurs the Nagarothi to a wilder and more callous existence, for they believe a life lived without limitations or censure is their only compensation. That is not to say that all dark elf souls meet their end as ambrosia for thirsting Slanesh. A few are delivered by the intercessions of other gods. Aerith, Kyle, the Pale Queen, is always eager to acquire elves to slave for her in the underworld and sends her winged servants to steal souls whilst the Dark Prince's attentions are elsewhere. Other damp souls are occasionally rescued by Loek, the trickster, who engages Slanesh in a contest of chance and then cheats to seize the prize. Such interventions are rare, but frequent enough to kindle some hope of salvation. Back, 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 and he back. All right, so the Annals of the Black Tower, the Chronicles. Of, I like Dark Elf history now from the High Elf book. They they do their ages by which leader they have. But they can't do this because Malekith's always been the leader. <laughs> right. So they have to break it down, and they call it the, you know the Dark Epochs. Um, they run through the key events of Dark Elf history. Of course, the birth of Malekith. The betrayal, and the betrayal is when, um, and this is, and okay, it's listed as the betrayal. This is when they gave Belshinar the throne over Malekith. I think it was right. Belshinar. Yeah. He was the one. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so the betrayal is where Malekith is denied his birthright. So that's the betrayal, not them turning against. No, no, no. It was the fact that these high elves, mm. his, his, his countrymen. Had the nerve to deny to hand him. someone else his when birthright. He's so obviously, it was his birthright. But remember, and I think it was in it was either in the old Dark Elf book or it was the very beginning of the first Sundering book, where it talks about how he grew up with his father saying, "Someday you're going to rule, and you need to be tough. You need to be strong. You need to be strong because someday you'll rule." And his mother whispering into his ears, even as a baby, mm-hmm. that it's his right to rule. Right. He's going to be the king. Nobody has any right to tell him what to do. So his dad is telling him, "You're going to be the king someday. I need to make you tough and teach you what to do." But he's got his mother on the other end saying, "No one can tell you what to do." So you've got someone who is being groomed to be king while being 
basically, I mean, that's like the worst kind of being spoiled. That's right, like, yeah, exactly. That's like every kid that went to Willy Wonka's all mixed up into one kid. It's right. like the worst type of brat. Yeah, the this worst is, type this of is yours. Yeah. You don't have to work for it. It's yours by birth. birth, Where, birth yeah. right. And I don't know that his dad was telling him that so much. I mean, yeah, there was obviously the implication. You're going to get it. But then you got your mother saying, well, of course you're going to get it. Right. Who, who, who has any right to even say you right. wouldn't? Who, who, so, do, who would dare challenge you in that? So you get the betrayal, which is them betraying him from his birthright. Then you get Malekith's trial, which is where he goes. That's where Malekith killing Belshanar and stepping into the flames is called his trial. Because, which he failed. Which, yeah, which he fails. Um uh, Nagarith rises, which is when Malekith goes to war, and then you get the Sundering, um, and then things go from there. Um, these different ages, the stories in here are fantastic, though. Yeah, they paint a good picture of what I mean, these guys have gone through. It is epic. I mean, on a scale unlike, I think, anything else in the old world. I mean, the Lizardmen have a huge history, and it's kind of sad, and they've done all these different things. The dwarves have their long history, you know, much longer than the, the tribes of man. Um, you know, the orcs seem to have just always kind of been around right. killing stuff. But this is just this millennium-long, I mean, just, first of all, fighting against chaos for millennium as one race. And then the split comes, and you fight for another few millennia of just this battles, this endless, this is, yeah, never this is a ending. Bitter, bitter war against the, the High Elves. Yeah. Trying to take back these lands that they originally came from. Right. But they keep on getting pushed back. Which It's a, it's, a, it's amazing that Ulthuan is not completely trashed. Yeah. I mean, it just seems... It, 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 Ulthuan starts to seem like a horrible and terrifying place to live at times. Like it's a beautiful, wonderful place, but but it's so war torn. Oh yeah, it's like it's almost. I mean, it's not as dangerous as Nagaroth. You can right. walk down the streets, right? But it's just vicious. There is something on this first part, the end, the age of endless glory, the first eighty years of Malekith, uh, or of uh, this isn't Malekith's reign. This is when Anari- when chaos is coming, and Anarian oh, pulls yeah, the yeah. sword, the Widowmaker. Um, yeah. Uh, page 17, halfway down the first paragraph. And this I liked because I don't remember this being in the other books. And I've, I mean, how many times have we had this discussion? You know, what's with this, what's with Anirian marrying Marathi? Everybody can see there's something wrong with her, apparently, except him. She's obviously just using him. And you read this and it says, in time, Anarian took another wife, the beautiful Cirrus Marathi. Now, this is after his wife's been killed. His children have disappeared. He assumes them dead. He pulls the widow make or he pulls the the sword of Cain because he's just like I don't I I don't know what else to do. Everybody told him not to, but he's you know I kind of give him a little sl- a little slack on pulling Widowmaker. I think part of that has to do with just the ultimate grief of his family being unless he pulled it first. But um, well, I think he he pulled it because he knew that uh, over time the demons are going to win the war of attrition. Right. So the the Widowmaker was kind of a quicker way to. Right, a quicker path to victory. But my question is: Did he? I, I, did he pull? He went through the flames. He I came think he out. did as a result of his kids being missing. I think that pushed him over the edge. Yeah, he found and that pushed yeah. him, and then he went and just got it and said, "This is it. I need something." But then he takes another wife, the beautiful Cirrus Morathi, 
whom he had rescued from the predations of a Slaneshi host. So, okay, dude, that was totally had to be set up. Right. Okay, so they were planning something, and he and he saves her. And uh, but then many were surprised at his choice, for she was as different from Asteriel as night is from day. But by now, the Phoenix King had become so grim and outlooked that few dared question him on any decision, let alone upon one so personal. To those that did inquire, Anarian had simply said that he had chosen a consort suited to the times at hand and would be drawn. Over. So it's like. That's a weird statement, and you can. I mean, I've sat there kind of analyzing. I picked someone suitable to times at hand, a betrayer, uh, someone who's 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 corrupt. I mean, because it's such an evil times. Right. I mean, what is, what does that mean? It's another vague sentence. But then, while it was plain to all that Marathi truly loved Anarian, none could ever be certain that he returned her her affections to the point where the Phoenix King rarely seemed to embrace any emotion that was grounded in aught other than anger or despair. Marathi really loves him, and I like this because she seems like the most like Malekith was twisted. Like from birth, he kind of didn't have a chance. He was a haughty high elf to begin with, mm-hmm. and then taking that haughtiness and sort of just just really kind of spoiling him. Sure. Um, so, are you saying Marathi was a pure soul? No, not at all. But I'm saying for uh, forever, I have seen her as this character with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Just corrupt and planning on this thing. She obviously has a deal with... Sli- manipulative. With sli- right, manipulative. Yeah. She really loves him. Which, I mean, she has some love in her heart. There is a spark of something. I just never bought her character. You know, like, oh, wow, he found this woman and married her, and she happened to be pure evil, nothing good about her, all these plans of domination and corruption. See, to me, that means that's Slanesh at work, manipulating Anarian right. and using Marathi to oh, those ends. Absolutely. So it's a, I don't think it's real love. To me, it's all manipulation See, via, but via the demons. I got to disagree. Why? Oh, well, first of all, right here, it says that everybody says she really loved him, but later on in the book... Um, where is it? There is a part in this book which was the best part, and it's when he was fighting against Teclis. Not Teclis, he's fighting against um, Tyrion. Where is it? It's 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 actually my favorite part of this. Uh, oh God, I know it. Oh, okay, it's in the it's in the the um, the, the timeline. The I know, I know what you're alluding to. Uh, oh, here. Many Marathi watches the unfolding, and this is a battle during the uh, Battle of the Fenuvial Plain, and right. they sent out uh, assassins to get Tyrion because Tyrion is kicking some ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's watching through the mirror. Uh, Malekith had tried to keep it from her, but she, you can't keep anything from her. She didn't even know why the battle in Rapture. She had no idea why. She really wanted to watch this battle. And then there was no joy in watching the Northmen sacrifice themselves in her name. Uh, all this is stuff going on. Then her gaze fell upon Poison Blade and his personal battle against some princeling. For the first time in many thousand years, Marathi started with surprise. Impossible though it seem, his foe was none other than Anarian, a younger, less careworn Anarian, perhaps, and one unmarked by the trials of long ago, but her beloved nonetheless. And she actually casts a spell and saves Tyrion inadvertently thinking that it's a not inadvertently she saves him on thinking the, that's thinking an, it's an Arian. Arian because right. she loves him and she won't let someone kill him that i mean 
I think she really loves him. It's the one little redeeming quality that I see in this character. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she's ever. It's, this isn't the hooker with a heart of gold. This is. No, she's I, I understand. Evil, but I, I think the love that you, you're talking about is legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's real. But I think it's created by Slanesh. It, okay, it's that's all possible. manipulated. That's even possible. that event that you're talking about right. could even have been manufactured by Slanesh to make those dark elves stumble. Why would he do that, though? Because she doesn't know why she's watching. It says it there. So, in fact, now that you're pointing it out, I completely agree with that part that Slanesh did it because she had no idea why she was even bothering to watch the battle. She wasn't enjoying it. She didn't like it until she saw Tyrion. Tyrion. Because there's a part later where she she like kidnaps him and she gets a hold of him. Right. And she tries to basically reawaken an Aryan and he winds up getting out of there thanks right, to right. something or other. <laughs> I mean, it's but it's crazy. She's obsessed with him because she thinks she, she really thinks it's an Aryan reborn. But your your point is, she's an evil character, but she has that one redeeming quality. There is, I mean, I I, did, I don't think she has any. She's a victim, I think, of Slanesh, and, oh. and it, so that redeeming quality is a fault. Why, what do you mean? I think it's manufactured. Again, by Slanesh. She was found by, you know, rescued from uh-huh. the host of Slanesh. So clearly she's been tainted, maybe, you know, even manufactured to play this role. You know what? That even makes more sense. That makes more sense than what I was thinking because I would, you know, I even said just before, obviously he saved her, but maybe she wasn't part of, like, maybe she wasn't in on the plan. Like him saving her, bringing her to himself. Right. Like a sleeper. Yeah, like she didn't like she really did love him, or was she's she, not aware? She of loved her. him because he saved her, but the saving her was allowed. Right, it was all manipulated. Oh, so that's another weakness. But is that okay? But is that not a re- okay? The fact that she has some love in her heart, and it, because it's been exploited, does that make it not a redeeming quality? Is for it a her? redeeming quality if if the very purpose of that love was? For Slanesh's end, but she doesn't know that. I mean, as a as it doesn't a, matter if if it is real love. Yeah. Is it any less legitimate and real because somebody else, you know, had a hand in it or is using it to their ends? Yes, it's rotten, and he's using it. To, he did use it completely to his ends. Mm-hmm. Slanesh did. But that's not her fault, and that you know. I mean, we could disagree on this, and I obviously don't want to take up a whole show sure, arguing sure. over. But I just, I never got her character. I never got why he liked her. Everybody saw she was evil to the core, and it's like, well, no, she really loves. And you know, some people, you know, they get into these weird relationships, and they're really with the, the, these codependent, really sick, bad relationships. Yeah, but if um, if your codependency is manufactured by a demon, right? It's but, tragic. That's as far as I'll go. But okay. I will never say that it's a redeeming quality. It's, I, it's tragic, I, the but it's ultimately you, evil. Well, I mean, here's my question. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have the uh, the capacity to feel a positive emotion towards something or someone is, you know, and maybe I'm a hopeless romantic. Maybe, maybe, but the fact that a demon had his hand in creating that... Uh, manipulate via manipulation right. or actually creating the emotion. I don't know. Right. To me, it, it taints the whole thing. Yeah. It, okay. I mean, it taints it, but I mean, there's just, I mean, she's, I, I just can't see her being, having been born pure evil. It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know. What, actually, when I read it, I thought maybe, 
her very being, the, the very character of, of uh-huh. Marathi, was created in whole, you know, head to tail, by Slanesh. She's a, a manufactured... Oh, wow. So she's not even, like, what, she didn't have parents? Like, she wasn't born and maybe, raised in Elf? Maybe. It, that thought crossed my well, mind. like a replicant? Like she, precisely, like, like precisely. She, like she doesn't even know. Like oh, like the one in Deckard with what's her name? She doesn't with even Rachel. know. She, yeah, so she she's like know a Rachel. What she is. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. She's a, she's a manufactured kind of puppet of Slanesh. She looks like an elf, acts like an elf. Oh, that's weird. I never thought. So that. she's a seed. She's a plant to 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 spark this whole manipulation. You know, that's that's one of my theories too. Wow, that's a that's an int- that's kind of cool. So again, that's part of the reason why I don't buy into the fact that whatever you know, love uh-huh. that she, whatever positive emotions that she's feeling, it's all fake. It's all manufactured. I don't buy it for a second. Wow. So are you? So do you hate Rachel too when you watch Blade Runner? Do you just not? That's different because she's not evil. She's just trying true. to live. That's true. That okay. I'll give you that. I just you know. I, mean, it's, I guess it's weird, but I mean... Because how can you deny it? Because all these people, she exudes evil, you know? All yeah. these people think that she she looks and acts evil. That doesn't just come out... I, I think that's that's Slanesh personified. Okay, I can see that. And everyone can see it except Anirian because And he's, if she'd been corrupted and given herself over to them, then why did he have to save her from them? And if he and if she was corrupted and, and evil and knew it and was all and was then she'd have to be in on the plan because why she wouldn't need saving so the fact that right. he came in fought these things and she acted a need to be saved right, exactly since she couldn't have been acting it because she she had to believe it she had to believe that's it. why I think she was a oh manufacturer <laughs> okay <laughs> mind blown <laughs> I just this, you've totally flipped my my whole idea of well it's and I want. I want to read more of that book now because because of that. I want to see what kind of background and what context they put almost her n- character almost in. Almost nothing, None? though. Really? Oh, that's that's why. Okay, you know what? I, I found my nook, and I have the Blood of Venerian and um, Sword of Calidor, uh, mm-hmm. the two books, the Tyrion and Teclas books. Yeah. And in that first book, it's got that about 20. In fact, you don't have to read the whole book. I know you're reading a different book. Right. It, it's like the first 30 pages of the prologue is the night that Anarian goes. He's in his tent before battle laying there with Marathi. And you get his point of view on Marathi. And she has a little bit in it. But that's when Kalidor, like, the, <laughs> I always think of it as like when the Emperor pops up on that little blue image oh, screen yeah, for yeah, Darth yeah. Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kalidor's image pops up and tells Anarian, we've started the, the the ritual. And he's like, I told you not to. I told you I don't want anything to do. He's like, look, they're coming to kill us and stop us, and we're going to fail if you don't do this. You need to come here. And he's pissed, but he goes. And that's like, and it's the scene where he kills all four of the demons okay, yeah. and then dies. It's like that's that his uh, last wow. night. Okay. Um, but there is that insight into his point of view of what's going on and how mm-hmm. he feels. You need to read that. Okay. Because I think you'll really, it, it'll help it shed some light. Yeah, yeah. It really okay. worked. Wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm totally jazzed. I have a completely different point of view of this stuff. And for years, I've been trying to figure this out, and it didn't work. And I saw this little bit of it. I'm like, okay, well, at least she wasn't. She couldn't have been all evil from the beginning. There's still some spark of that elf that was pre-corrupted in her. And you've totally ruined that. But now I actually almost feel worse for her if she doesn't even it makes know her she's a tragic a tool. figure. Yeah, it makes her far more tragic. Oh wow, the high elves have been totally. Min- if if you're right, then 
all of this has been engineered by chaos. And it actually, there's parts in here that says they've all been... Tainted in some way. They've, yeah. Um, chaos has not changed. They've all been tainted in some way. It's left its mark on the elves. In this race, however, their power takes on a subtle form. It has fanned the arrogance in the elven soul, reinforcing all that's prideful and hubristic. Um, it hasn't changed them all in equal. Wood elves, it made isolationists, deniers of the wild world, who blindly hope that so long as their realm knows order, no danger can threaten it. The high elves are more stubborn, having gained certainty beyond words' ability to convey that they and they alone can shield the world against the perils it faces. And for the dark elves, Cass has brought enlightenment, the knowledge that the world exists only for the pleasure of the strong. Right. They've embraced this revelation with a burning passion that shames the cold hearts of their ancient cousins. Indeed, it may very yet set the world afire. So they, it sounds like they were corrupted back... Way back. The Wood Elves, well, I guess they were in their, I guess they didn't actually call them the Wood Elves until they were, they refused to come back and help mm-hmm. fight. And that, the battle had already begun with Malekith. Right. But I guess they were in there, just Wood Elves in essence, but not yet in name. Correct. Before the call. So it could be way back. Wow, this fluff's even better than I thought. <laughs> this really <laughs> is. That, that thought never occurred to you that she that, that she, she was a plant. Well, I mean, I knew. Well, okay, I knew she was a plant because, because I it's knew suspicious she was, the fact that she was rescued from you know a, a cult of Slanesh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew he rescued. I mean, I didn't. I don't. I, may, I maybe I didn't realize it was a cult of Slanesh till I read this book. Right. But I mean, I, we always knew she was a plant. We always knew that she had somehow manipulated her way into power with the Narian, and she was already corrupted. And I knew that much. But I never kind of put all those pieces together in the way to say that, I mean, as we're calling her, a replicant. I guess right. I never got to that. I knew she was a plant. I knew there was a plan. I knew she had planned on these ideas of corruption. Because she was evil. We all know she was evil. She, uh, I mean, we, everybody, I mean. Every, yeah, she exudes evil. She exudes evil. So we knew she was evil. She knew she was up to no good. We knew that there was nothing good going to come of this. But, it, she, but in her mind, she doesn't feel that way. She thinks she's doing the right thing. I guess she does. And she seems to in every book she reads. In fact, honestly, outside of her bizarre and really violent, sick tendencies, she's sort of got that weird Norman Bates mom sort of thing going on. Because she does, even with Malcolm. I mean, she's never tried to kill him. She does constantly. I mean, she's the one who nursed him back to health when he was burned. She's the one who screamed like a crazy person when he was denied the throne the first time. Right, right. She is, I mean. She really does. She really believes this is my son. I mean, she got that mother's love for a child, but it's really kind of sick. And it's the nth degree. Yeah, and it is. And, you know, it always kind of creeped me out because they don't age. Right. So she is sort of that young, youthful, almost like a wife, but she talks to her son. And there's, yeah, it's a weird relationship I mean, there. I, yeah. I know it's not an incestuous relationship. But Actually, it, in that Malekith book, they kind of hint at that a little bit. It seems it, though. Right? Yeah, there's the... Yeah, there's a, there's a weird there's a weirdness about their relationship. I mean, it's not it's not it's like very vague. It's not like uh, it's not like the Lannister siblings. Yeah, yeah, it's not overt, but they, they but kind of hint like, well, what's this is a weird. It it's not your typical mother son. No, relationship. but that's, there's so much power between the two of them too, right. and they do. And it's funny because they're all Malekith is 
not only does he want to rule on his own, but he even he doesn't trust his mother either. He's right. not stupid. Right. And he's constantly trying to hide stuff from her. It, it, isn't there a part where he actually imprisons her at one point for something that she's... She, I think he... She does something. He yeah, trades him in, in some here. capacity. And he, and he has the option to kill her or imprison her. And he decides to imprison her. Well, it's his mom. Yeah, and, it's, and, right. and there's still that thing. That's that's my mom. But what you did know? he do? I, I don't remember I forget. exactly what he did. I forget, and I don't know. I don't remember at all. Oh, the night of pleasure and pain. This is where Inkari shows. And Inkari is the demon that's constantly after Tyr- uh, Tyrion and yep. Teclas, which is funny because he's after him in the Tyrion and Teclas books. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he, he he was also, I think he was the same greater demon that went that was the one Rampaged who, through Ulthuan, right? Well, I think he was the one that uh, fought Anirian. I think he was the, oh. the Slaneshi demon. Oh, that he fought, was. Because th- he actually says his name in, in that, in that, Prequel to yeah. sort of to uh, Blood of Anarian, and that because that's why it said that's why he's after him because Anarian vanquished him and now he uh, wants to kill all of his line. That makes sense. Yeah, and he's also and and Malekith is kind of uh, Malekith like knows his name, sort of forces him to do his bidding, right? Sends him after. He's the one who actually sends Inkari after Tyrion and Yes, Teclis. yes, I remember that. And that's yeah. what and that's those books. The Tyrion and okay. Tegel's books is where he shows up, and he hates them, and he hates Malekith because Malekith <laughs> sent him after him, and he lost, and that's where he comes to kill him, and Malekith just gets rid of him. I mean, it's all in here. Where? I don't... No, here's the thing where she captured Tyrion and was going to bring him back, and somebody stopped it. Oh, that's right. That's right. Remember she captured Tyrion, and she was going to do the ritual to, mm-hmm. to, to bring back Anarian's soul and put it in Tyrion's body, right. and then somebody betrayed it. I think it was Helebron. Okay. Yeah, she didn't want that to happen. And yeah. then it's this is I love this part. The battle was lost, Marathi realized, and with it her hopes of reclaiming Anarian's shattered soul, at least for now. Before parting, she kissed Tyrion, who, lost in surprise and revulsion, squandered any opportunity to slay her. Uh, <laughs> it's just like what's wrong with you? He woman? was right there. He could have stabbed <laughs> yeah. her and killed her, but she kissed him and it totally freaked him out. Stuns him. Oh, where is it? Okay, I think I found it. Oh, good. Bottom of page 23. Okay, you know what? Let's back up before we do this, then, yeah. because this entire one, this is maybe one of the last parts I really want to hit. Yeah. The Age of Hateful Peace. This was really a cool story. Uh, they had killed Tethlis, who was... Um, who was uh, kind of kicking butt, and he was actually going for the uh, the Widowmaker again. And Malekith... Um, it says his body was immortal, but his soul soul was weary, and they had they had taken him to a stronghold. And he's waiting for the right time, and he thinks he's just waiting for the right time, but he's just like tired, and he's just sitting around doing nothing. Right, the, the fires of his uh, passion are kind of right, and then dying a little bit. And then uh, there was someone that, who was it that he wanted to marry? Some one of these elves, uh, Elisara, um, and she uh, she basically said was going to come back to Malekith and Malekith was all excited because he had loved her and she had left him. Now she's coming back and Marathi is just like, oh, that's bad because he's already not fighting and if he falls right. in love... Right, then the, the well, whole plan all, is... And once again, mother's son can't go falling in love with some other woman because right. then it'll be the other woman and not the mother. Oedipus, yeah, Oedipal complex. I mean, let's face it. We've already talked about it. How often did he try to keep things from... It's funny. He's like a teenager. Right. 
under her constantly. No matter how old he gets, he's still mama's little boy, and he's trying to break free of that, but she is way too strong. She's three steps ahead of him. She's way too strong to let that happen. So basically, she winds up having her killed through proxy, proxy, and proxy. He finds out this girl's dead. Snaps calls a war council. By the time by the night's over, half the war council's dead because mm-hmm. he's pissed. The other half are terrified. He's going to war, and that's where it is. Why don't you take it from that bottom of that page? Where soon after Aethas' passing, the Witch King finally discovered Marathi's role in Alasar's death. Consumed by rage, he commanded that she be imprisoned in the deepest of dungeons. For nearly a year, which is a blink of an eye in an elf life. Well, still, who wants to sit in the same damn room for 365 days? Marathi languished as Malekith contemplated her fate. Finally, she was forced to kneel before the Witch King's throne, wretched but unrepentant. For a long moment, Malekith watched his mother in silence, but then he spoke in measured tones. Uh, she would see no further punishment for her deeds, the Witch King decreed, for he now saw that Alasar's death had only made him stronger. He would grant forgiveness this once, uh... But, but he would not, not tolerate a second attempt to meddle with his destiny. Yeah. It was well for the hag sorceress that the witch king did not glimpse her face as she stalked from the throne room, for her knowing smile could only have made him doubt the wisdom of his clemency. Oh. Yeah. He could have killed her, too, and he was he was ready to. But, yeah, I mean, it's just there's a really sick relationship going on there. Him constantly trying to get out from under mommy's, you know, uh, apron cloth and her just... Not not allowing, allowing it. it. And she, again, she thinks she's doing the right thing. Yeah, and that, I think this is again Slanesh pulling the strings and manipulating her. That's what I think makes Marathi a tragic character, but also the by far the most interesting in this book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you're getting you, you get these glimpses that I just don't think we had in the old dark. I mean, I could be wrong. I you know, like I said, I read the Dark Elf fluff. Yeah. Once in the old book and said, mm-hmm. this is sick. I just yeah. have no desire to keep reading it. But, yeah, there's a depth there to both these. I think they're both. Real. I mean, you know, she obviously she's a bigger puppet than I think anybody realizes. Right. But, I mean, Malekith didn't stand a chance either. No, not at all. No. I mean, I guess my question is because he knew so much about these pleasure calls. Like he was. He was out there getting, you know, I'm getting rid of the pleasure right, cults. Yeah. Hunting them down. and Hunting them down and, and sacrificing them as he has no qualms with. Right. Um, to get rid of them. But what what if they had named him Phoenix, Phoenix King? King? Like then, before he had been so corrupted, before he wound up killing Belshazzar. Could he have been a good elf king or would she have just pushed him to farther acts and into war uh, that's a, we'll never know but I, I think if maybe given the chance maybe in the right conditions maybe right. he'd flourish and because be a good leader th- the point is most tragic characters tragic heroes I guess you would say your Oedipus Rex your I mean even Macbeth who winds up becoming the villain but he's a tragic you know, because they all have that one fatal flaw so it's, right. sometimes it's pride in Malekith's case, it definitely is that sort of vanity and pride. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, with that flaw comes their downfall. Um, but could this have been avoided? I, I, I don't know. There's just there's a little more to these characters than I first gave credit to as just they're evil and want right, to kill things. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of texture to them. I, want to, I would like to say that given the opportunity, he would flourish in that role. 
but it's the fact that it was taken from him. What if he what he felt was his by right? Okay, that caused the whole thing to unravel for him. Oh uh, yeah, maybe yeah. I mean, yeah. Once again, that 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 whole that uh, that attitude of entitlement, right? Just yeah, it really messes things up for him left and right every time. <laughs> Maybe the Hyle should have been better off. Like, yeah, let him have it. You know what's <laughs> weird? And let's, I mean, let's wrap this up. We've been doing yep. fluff for quite a while here. But at the very bottom of page 31, now I know they moved the timeline around, and I don't know exactly when, you know, 7-2-33 is. I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, let's see, 2300 Imperial Calendar. You had another 233, so... Excuse me, twenty five, twenty three. Isn't that right around the time of the incursion of of um, Archaon? I, I couldn't tell. Because remember, they moved the timeline back in the in the it, they moved the timeline backwards in the Empire book. Because mm-hmm. at the very end of the Empire timeline, Archaon's forces are mustering, which right. that you know that that has already happened sure. before. Because we're right around this time, and they've got, uh, after long years of preparation, the Witch King now unleashed the full might of his armies against Ulthuan once again. For centuries, he had undermined and harried the High Elves, breaking their colonies overseas, isolating them from potential allies. Now he deemed it was time for his works to bear bitter fruit. All through the season of blood, the moons had shone with the light of slaughter, and there was no truer sign of Cain's favor. All along the Nagroth coast, Black Arch slipped their moorings and sailed out. The hour of the Witch King triumph was finally at hand. And that's kind of where it ends. It's like they sort of end it with Malekith riding off to the last big battle with the High right, Elves. Right. And is it gonna, which way is it going to fall is sort of the... kind of It prompts you to play some games, uh, right? High Elves versus Dark Elves. All right. <laughs> get on the table. Um, but it's just... So where are you going with the whole Archeon tie-in? Well, no, I'm just I'm wondering exactly where it is in oh, the timeline because I'm no wondering point. if they moved it back because they're really, in fact, yeah, in fact, if you go out of the little timeline part and back to the Age of Glorious Torment, um, Finubar the Seafarer, the newly found Phoenix King, had succeeded in uniting his people to a degree unseen since the days of Anarion. That was news that could not be borne. Summoning Marathi and his closest counselors, he swept from his throne room and into the storm-wracked night. It was time for the armies of Nagroth to vent their full fury on Ulthuan much more. The Age of Vengeance had begun. So that's the new age that's starting. This right, right now we're in, is the, in his Age of Vengeance. Age of Vengeance. But they really make it sound... I mean, you really read this, and it sounds like he's finally going to win. Now, of course, I think this is coinciding with that storm of chaos, and I, obviously right. he's going to be pushed back, because if he wins, that's going to change the Warhammer landscape in too big of a way right you can't this is like the emperor on his throne and for, you can't ever advance that storyline any farther right. all, all this is doing is prompting you to play games right right can can the dark elves it just seems succeed. so i mean i just i read that like i, I did i read it, i was like i got to the end I'm like oh man You're right, Ooh, right. inspiring this is gonna be bad this is really gonna like i was i was totally engrossed in this yeah. you know um I think it's time for another break. Let's do that. And then we're going to come back and talk about the big beast. Yes. All right. Hey guys, if you're the type of person 
who would rather have oral surgery than put a brush to a model, then let me suggest Guild Painting Services. They're a professional painting service that pride themselves on having customer interaction like going to a local commission painter, but having the quality and speed of a large studio. They build, paint, and convert miniatures for all game systems. They're competitively priced, and if you want to talk quality, go to guildpainting.com and check out the quality of the miniatures that they've got on display. If you're a person who likes to have a beautifully painted army on the table but doesn't have either the time, desire, or ability to bring it to that standard, you can trust your models to the guys at Guild Painting Services at guildpainting.com. You'll be glad you checked them out. Unique Gibson Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. back yes we are talking some more dark elf stuff well um I'm, i i i almost want to say i'm sorry i got so enthused no, i'm like why? so excited about this but i haven't even thought i mean i hadn't thought of the stuff that you've been saying and i mean i i feel kind of silly because i feel like you've already thought of everything i was talking about i mean i don't i i don't know it's if not I, that i didn't think of it it's it just it, i haven't thought in from your frame of mind uh-huh. i i didn't put that much thought into it because it didn't occur to me that she was anything but a plant. I mean, I always knew she you know was I mean? a plant, but, but I guess but manufactured. I guess from yeah by Slanesh. But I guess yeah. The I mean, we're using the term replicant because right. it works. Yeah. yeah. No, never, never. Could I mean, be. I. No. But it makes sense because, like I've said, how how many times have I said it? Even just in this episode, is I never understood her. Like I never, I, she didn't make any sense. Right. You know, and I was trying to have her make sense. And uh, you, 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 it's like the light bulb one. You, you, you know, you put that last she piece in the puzzle that, for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Did I bring up anything that you hadn't thought about or hadn't? Well, the redeeming, the fact that you felt that her love was a redeeming quality, I never really considered that. But I find that a very interesting. I, I, I like that angle. Maybe I'm a romantic at heart, you, but very I, much so. I, I like to think that at least there's something that's not even even in a character that is so like. You're so evil. It, it, it's just, you know... So, a, so a, then that, that begs the question, does someone like Malekith have a redeeming quality? I think if you read The Sundering, I think he has had redeeming qualities. Had? Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's, he actually had real friendships at one time. I think at this point, after the burning and the, and the, and the endless war, I think whatever... I think his... He's too far gone. I think his soul is crushed. Beyond, just, beyond. I think under the weight of this, I think he, he's just been so consumed by yeah. hate and war for so long. 
that I think it's you know there's there's some point where you just don't come back from that anymore. It's interesting you say that because you know we made the allusion to him to, to Darth Vader. Right. He came back. He redeemed himself in a big way. Well, he had a son. He had someone actively working to bring him back. Who is there who thinks he's got some good in him that right. can try to bring him back? Marathi's not trying to bring him back. Marathi wants him to be the the, the warlord true, of everything. True. Um, maybe after he kills all the high elves, maybe right. you know. <laughs> once he, once he gets tone. his throne, could we tone him down? You know, but right. I mean, look at him. I mean, everything I've read, everything that you read where he shows up, he's just he doesn't have. It's it. There's nothing left but hate and vengeance. And it's like that last scene from the Wrath of Khan, right? You know, with my last, I spit it. That's like that seems to be all he's got left. Maybe maybe it would take. Um, I, I forget the character's name, but the dwarf king that he had befriended. Oh. You know, they went hunting. Did together. you finally finish? Did you get to the I, part I, where I, he gets? Not yet. Okay, I, I'm still at the point where he's. Okay. In a good place with the dwarves. Okay. Uh, but maybe it takes that guy to come back after all the Hiles are dead. Uh-huh. To finally say, hey, look. Oh, see, you, so you, you really don't back. know. that? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but it might be. Right. No, but there's other, there's other stuff that happens in the story with him that that would. Oh, it doesn't end there? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I just. It was really, I mean, this is really sort of cool. Like, I got a different point of view, and it's like, it is really well-written fluff. I mean, they've got some nice vague things to get you thinking and going. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so that said, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, you want to you wanna tell it? Go ahead and say it. Because it was so funny, because you said <laughs> I got a beef, and when you said it, I... I, I said, think, I have one, too. Well, I said, I have one, too, and you said yours first, and... Like you got halfway through the first sentence, and I knew what you were, and I, you finished. And I said, "Thank you," I said, because God bless America. I don't know how I haven't heard this before. So, so let's let's just lay it out there. Say so, it. after the sundering, the dark elves. We said maybe twenty twenty five percent of the dark elves left. Go to and they they make up Nagaroth. It's already a, you know a dying race in their twilight. They're few in number. They lo- they live long, but there's not many of them. And don't I mean don't they have trouble reproducing? Or is that is that a Tolkien thing that I'm putting into there? Uh, I think never, that might be a Tolkien I think thing that's that I'm a Tolkien putting thing. in. There. I don't remember reading that in the High Elf book or this Dark Elf book. Okay, so then let's let's skip that. We just I, it's it's we just know that it's the twilight of their race, right? right. They're they're dwindling for whatever reason. Okay, uh, getting to Nagaroth too before they f- built all their cities. Yeah, they were just they were dying. Yeah. I mean, there was I mean, just the harsh the, the, the harsh realities the of the land and everything. Yeah, yeah, they were dying. So the big question that you and I both have, and we'll pose it to the listeners, maybe someone that has the answer: How can they afford to live this lifestyle of death, carnage, murder that is their religion? How can they afford to to do that to each other and still be able to maintain a cohesive society where you know they can raise people and and continue to grow? How can they raise armies where they trust each other enough to fight with each other and not kill each other? Uh-huh. How does that all happen? I'll go one step beyond that. How do they still exist as a race? Yeah. How are there any of them left? Once a year, in at least in one city, they wipe each other out practically. Yeah. Malekith gets angry and kills people. I mean, Malekith wipes out entire towns. On a whim. Yeah. yeah. Um, everything you read, they're constantly backstabbing and killing each other. And there's, I mean... How can they afford to do that? They're so few in number. <laughs> well, I want I want a, I want some books by the Black Library besides Malice Darkplay, which I haven't read, that shows us their society and how they live. Right. 
because it doesn't make any sense. They should all be dead. They should. I mean, unless they are, re- unless they are, re- you know, what do they do? They, you know, first of all, how do you even fall in love with another elf when everyone is just killing off everyone? Right. Right. I mean, you got to be having, you got to be pumping out at least a kid a year, probably two at the rate that they're dying. So you figure half of them will be, get murdered just to maintain way. the race. Yeah. I mean, they kill their own children. It's part of their religion. It makes no sense, and it's. I understand you want to, you know, how you want to portray them in the fluff right. as, as just, you know, murderous, you know, aggressive society, whatever. Uh, uh, embracing the credo of the god of murder with reckless abandon and pure, just giving yourself over to it. I get that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I get you want to portray that. But your descriptions don't make sense that there, that there's anybody left. Right. Uh, it doesn't. It makes yeah, no sense. Yeah. And I, it, it's the it, it, that was the one problem I had. I see you even going farther and talking about society. Yeah. How do they keep a society? How do they keep any infrastructure going? They have to have some sort of friendships, even if they're friendships of opportunity. I mean, Something. you fight. If you and I are fighting in battles, we're two spear elves fighting side by side for hundreds of years. We at least respect each other. You can rely we're on, on each the same other. side. We know we can yeah. rely. We drink together. Yep. I guess there's always a chance that one of us will stab each other in the back. But at least for now, I want to keep you near me because I know you've got my back in it's battle, in and interest. I want to live, and I want to yeah. get advanced. Of course, if you advance too quickly ahead of me, I'd probably have to <laughs> plot your... Stab me. <laughs> See, and, and that's the thing. I mean, this descriptions in this book go so far as it almost makes it sound as it's impossible to even have what I just described. Yeah, organized, any kind of organization. Yeah. I mean, there is a part in there that talks about how having friendships is a weakness that will be exploited by other elves, and it's like... Really? Sorry. How the heck do you even, like you said, you cannot have a functioning society you, you can't. when Much everybody's less an army killing or... everybody at every turn. Like if you're, if you're, if our block of spear elves is locked in combat with another block of you know orcs, and we're waiting for the cavalry to come in and, and uh-huh. ride down their flank, but instead they ride down our flank and kill us instead. Yeah, they're just as liable to do that. Well, now that I, that I think I would disagree with because. Dark elves would always pick Ops. themselves over the enemy. I'm not going to go in battle and wipe you out when there's an actual enemy to fight. Now, of course, I'll just kill you later. Well, we're not at war, right? On or the I mean, there are several examples in here too of Malik of just completely sacrificing troops too. Mm. If you're strong enough, you'll live. I'm going to send you as a vanguard in there against really bad odds, but I got to test how strong they are. So I'll just send you off to die. If you live, you're strong enough. You live, and if you're not, then I've culled the weak from the ranks of the dark elves. I, 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 you know, I, just, I don't I can't think it would be that. as blatant as them just riding down their own army because you want to win quite. that battle. But to but, throw out troops like that that are you know so few in number and so elite. Well, that battle with Tyrion, that was when they lost the battle, and the, whoever. Uh, led that battle, signaled you know the retreat. Mm-hmm. He ran back with his guys and said, "Well, no, let the you know let those peons keep fighting, right? So we can make our retreat." Totally. I mean, they sacrifice. Yeah. If a battle's going bad, sacrifice the grunts 
to make your escape. I, I can understand that. Sacrifice if, the few for the greater good. Well, the greater good when you're sacrificing a big chunk of the army in order for you and your friends to well, escape. Yeah. Uh, or the other one of just uh, a, a total willingness, and I and I guess you have to do this. We we do this when we play the game. Send out your, you know, these are my untested spirals. These are my spirals who've only been spirals for like ten years. Send them out first to test, test what they're made of, and test what they're made of. Whoever survives becomes blackguard, and, and then and and if they survive, and then I'll know how strong they are and send in the real troops. They do this all the time. Totally willing to say. I mean, in war, you make sacrifices. There sure. are generals. I mean, I'm certain, you know, when Patton was out there fighting, there were guys he had to send out there that he knew some of them weren't going to make it back. And that you have to have an idea of acceptable losses. But they, it's it's beyond acceptable losses. It's more like, yeah, who cares? Losses, schmosses. But, but acceptable losses, and after all that, your troops can go back home and just get murdered in the streets. Yeah. So... It doesn't make any sense. There's there's a callousness in this book that is frightening. It's it's and it, illogical and, it, and it's it's not intuitive at all. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel natural. It's possible we're missing something because when you said it, I said that's exactly what I was thinking. And it's it's the big stick I have with this is right. there's a difference between embracing evil, which they've done, which is one of the reasons I've never liked the army. I would love to. I mean, it's a beautiful beautiful models. Sure, cool army. In seventh, when Chris first was playing, and I was watching him, and you're hearing them winning every tournament practically, you know, between the big three. They were super powerful. It would have been fun to play them. I couldn't get around this fluff of they just decided to go evil. Like, they, we're going to join these pleasure cults. We're going to get – and it's like you said, how, how do you get this sick and not know it? And I just think that they, right. they – I think they do know it, and I just don't think they care. It's like you said, like I said in, from that other fluff reading, you're not going to live a life of half measures. They know that their souls are going to get devoured, that they are going to just not exist. Mm-hmm. There is no afterlife for them. Yeah, so party it up now. So do whatever you want because basically it's not like it's not like a thing of, oh, you know, you get this idea of there's no punishment in the afterlife, so do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, like – you know. There is no God to punish me in the afterlife, so I'm going to do it. Whatever it is, this is my existence is over when I get to the afterlife. My soul will be devoured, and so just it's 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 beyond that. It's like I'm not even going to. Well, it's it, kind of like it's not that there's no punishment. There's nothing. Well, it, it there there Cain mm-hmm. encourages that that. That right. sort of lifestyle right. in the present. Live for the now. Murder yeah. whoever. It's it's nihilistic beyond. Yeah. you know. And I, it's it, it's why I can't I can't I just can't abide this army. Like I, I, that's the problem I have too. From a fluff perspective, I can't grasp this race. Yeah, I mean, I when when I hear that a dark elf army loses a battle. I'm happy. I don't care who they were playing. I don't care. <laughs> Christopher got mad at me once because I was rooting. Ag- I was, I, and I wasn't rooting against him. Of course, I wanted him to win. Sure. But when I went up, and I think it was playing Luke or something like that, and the tide had turned, and the and I just heard the dark house off, and I was like, good. And Chris got really mad because he thought I was like, he's like, sticking it to you're him. Being a, I'm like, yeah. it's not you. I just, it's the race. And I know that's so stupid, and I know people are going to make fun of me and roll their eyes and be like, wow, you are a total fluff gamer if you can't get past the fluff to play the army. But, I mean, people pick armies based on not just the models, but the fluff and the things they like about it. And it really does. I read this, and it's like, 
I, I, I put these models on the table, and I fight this battle, and I win, and I know in the back of my head that fluff-wise, I am advancing this genocidal, insane culture of rape, murder. And yeah. I, I just I don't I don't want to play them, and it's the it's yeah. the, and it's the thing that I I did. This was a great book. I love this army book. It's the first time in the last two or three army books where I didn't have to tell myself, no, you're not starting this army, or wait a month and see if you really want right, to do it. Right. I didn't have to because it's like I can't play this it army. It didn't grip you? Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to get on board with them. And, and now, you th- best it's hard get on for the board to... in some way because you got to – well, I suppose you could only ever play it as a high elf I, army. I could. So I'm kind of going back and forth right now. I, I, I probably will feel them at some point, but it's hard to because it's hard to, it's hard to like them. It, it to me it is. I mean, there's a lot of people who love them because they are. They're tough. They're 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 bad. Yeah, they're, they're they're tough and yeah, dark yeah. and grim. And, yeah. and I mean, they're gothic. Yeah, they're, I, I, I get all that, but but all the other we kind of talked off air. All the other forces of evil, there's something that is relatable. Like warriors of chaos, they do it for personal glory, glorify their god, the chance to become a demon prince, whatever. Oh, I mean, living in those frozen wastes. I mean, you you're gonna live a life of. Desperation, cold, starvation, and death. Unless you align and and become it's a matter powerful. of survival. Yeah. Uh, orcs, Skaven, they don't have a choice. That orcs are. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I personally one that don't don't consider orcs as like evil. Evil. I guess goblins are kind of evil. Orcs right. are just in their just nature to fight. They're destroy. Yeah. yeah. They're like they're they're like tornadoes. Right. I don't hate the tornado for what it. It just is what it is. You Correct. Know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Skaven are they. They, they were rats, you know, mutated, mutated. by Warpstone. Yeah. They are what they are, too. Same with Beastmen. Yeah, Beastmen were, you know, things that were warped by the... Uh, mm-hmm. you know, demons are demons. They come from the warp. They are what they are. The, the, the demons is everyday life personified, you know, yeah. things that we have to deal with. War, uh, uh, yeah. decay, I mean, change. they come from the warp. It's not like they chose this. They, that's what they it are. It is what they are, yeah. And these guys seem to have chosen. Although... From what we've just talked about, and all this, and the plants, and the manipulations of Slanesh and stuff, mm-hmm. and that reading saying that you know chaos has touched them all in some way and made them more haughty and more yeah. like this. So, could it be, and maybe this will help you play them, that that choice where they chose to fall into corruption, that they'd already unknowingly had a taint to them. And because you know what I'm saying that that they'd already been tainted before the sundering, and so that choice was less free will on their part. I mean, if he's manipulating this whole thing, ah, I see. Then, then is then are the dark elves actually more of a tragic race because they didn't have a chance? Period. Right. They're they're a puppet race of. Are they Slash. entire puppet race? Because yeah, yeah uh, where I mean, we can go back and find that passage. Let's see. It talked the uh, the dark elves or Drukai, blah blah blah. Um, they dismiss other races as sniveling, or the other elves as weaklings. Uh, no matter their allegiance, they're long lived. Elves are cunning of mind, clever beyond their years. What need is there of law? Uh, many an enemy died midway through a blow. He would uh, blah blah blah. Chaos has left its mark upon the elves, just as it has upon the race of the world. It has taken a subtle form. Okay, so um, you know, I I like that angle a lot because it makes them again a tragic yeah race. I mean, they're kind of victims of their own circumstance, and they don't know it. They just they they right. kill 
because they think it's the thing to do? Long ago, compassion would have been said to be the elves' defining trait, for such was the nature granted them by the old ones. And remember, the old ones there, the slan had taught them magic. They were a good race. But now generosity has been eclipsed by narcissism, empathy, empathy by conceit. So, I mean... They've been fighting chaos. They've been exposed to the chaos. Once the gates broke, mm-hmm. I mean, let's. I mean, you know, we, you see how much chaos the winds of magic corrupt. It created the beastmen. I mean, mutate. If you read that book, right. they were mutated yep. from all this stuff, right? Disgusting mutations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it created the Skaven. It created all the. I mean, you know, all this nasty, gross stuff in the world, um, and. It was pouring into Ulthuan. I mean, before they made the Vortex, mm-hmm. this magic was running rampant. I mean, the demons could stay at all times. They could constantly attack Ulthuan. Right, right. I mean, it took the Vortex to pull enough that they couldn't manifest. So up to that point, yeah. They, uh, if it's they there constantly, reign. it's warped everything else. Did it warp them? Are they a little more tragic? Are they a little more to be pitied? More victims. Then we give them credit for. More I mean, victims. And, and I'm only thinking this right now as yeah. we're talking based off of your theory. I, I never thought of that. Okay, good. Yay. Race wide. So, <laughs> <laughs> my mind blown. And that does make them infinitely more interesting because they're, they become victims of their own circumstance. And I, you know what? And if that's the case, and if we're looking at it this way, I got to think about that. Basically, my five years of wanting them to lose every battle just ended. Right here on the air, folks. You heard it. Hmm. What? <laughs> yeah, it, it makes them more compelling to play. Yeah, because then it's not as bad. I mean, yeah, they are bad. Right. But they're no more corrupt than the demons and the Skaven and Correct. everything else right. if it's that influence that has done this to them. Because it says it it, it had grant chaos granted them this knowledge. We read it yeah. earlier. I don't yeah. need to read the passage again. And if chaos did that, if chaos made them this way before the sundering, obviously the pleasure cults and these things that pushed it really took root. Yeah, it had an effect. I like that. I like that angle a lot. <laughs> Marathi's a replicant, and they were all screwed right. from the beginning. <laughs> but it, it, would it, could you even take it a step further? Culminating in Malekith. Could you even say that their whole reproduction? And replenishing their numbers is a demon-supplied answer? Their ability to procreate as quickly as they can with all the death? Right. Hey, we, why not? We've granted chaos and the demons every other darn thing. You know, why not give them this? It mutates everything else. It yeah. cr- changes everything else. Who knows? Like that's honestly that's the biggest stretch I think we've made tonight on the corruption of it's it. It's a huge stretch because it's still. I mean, just I still think they kill each other off too fast. I mean, just because they yeah. become a little more tragic and more sympathetic, I still think doesn't the, answer that question. It does. No, yeah. that's the one no. question it doesn't answer. The, the, the massive amount of death they deal upon each other right. doesn't make sense. But well, could they be a little more tragic? Well, that's interesting. They certainly are, and, and that. <laughs> Yeah, that that makes them infinitely more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> totally unscripted here. Like we're off. Yeah. We're we're so off. The, we're like, huh? We're so off our show notes and stuff right. like that. We're just sort of like, 
wait a minute. I never thought of that. Now we don't. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stopped here. Like, <laughs> the conversation. So, somewhere of, out in the ether, Slanesh is going, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> We've hit a pause here in the show where we're both looking at each other going, wow. Well, what next then? What do we. Dark Elves redefined. Huh. Well, wow. Okay. Well, we have well, now. Let's mull that over. We have now talked Dark Elf fluff for almost two hours. Yes. It is definitely time to call this topic done. Done. Um, we're going to need to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to bring on our special guest, our local Dark Elf player extraordinaire, Alex Nikotenko. Okay. So um, we'll be back. We'll be back. Hecardi is the goddess of conjurations and dark magic. She has no shrines, save for a small temple within Grand's dark convent. She sees all the winds of magic and has six arms to carry her sacred accoutrement. A serpent-headed staff, a beating heart, a scorpion, a broken arrow, a serrated dagger, and a file of orphan's tears. Unlike many of her kind, Hecardi pays close attention to the desires of the elves. She is ever locked in jealous contest with her twin sister, Authority, the goddess of pleasure, and resents her sway over mortals. It was supposedly this rival that first enticed Hecardi to grant wisdom to Marathi. That said, the hag sorceress has always kept her devotions to the two sisters in careful balance. Nagarothi legends have many grim examples of what happens to those who favor one above the other. are back. Okay, folks, um, Chris is not here, not feeling well, had to take off. Um, we'll be back definitely for the part two of the uh, Dark Elf Review, but for now, it's me and good friend of the show, Alex Nikotenko. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So now Alex is our resident uh, Dark Elf player and... Um, I don't want to embarrass him, but he's 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 a really good dark elf player. This is I was we were very happy to have someone with his amount of experience and knowledge. Alex, why don't you just for people who don't know or might not have heard you on the other episodes, why don't you let them know like how long you've been playing Warhammer and how long you've been playing the dark elves? Uh, I've been playing Warhammer since 1986, so right when the second edition of the game came out, uh, <clears throat> and dark elves are near and dear to my heart because they were my very first army. So, so this is the army that I started playing the game with. I built them in uh, 1986 under the second edition rules, which had basically one rule book and one army book for all the armies, and that was it. So it was a two-book game at the time. And you were allowed to have your base army along with something that they called allies, which could be up to a third of your army. And so my core army, two-thirds of my army, was Dark Elves, and I mean, it was, uh, that's how I got started with this. Nice. So, um, all right, why don't we jump into it? Um, we're going to hit the Army Special Rules first. Uh, first thing I noticed is there's no more K-Knight. They dropped the K-Knight rule. 
Um, so now you can uh, sort of mix and match units. Although uh, I know later on when we get up to the uh, witch elves and stuff like that, they've instilled special rules that, uh, without having a canine rule, still seems to uh, push you to try to at least enforce keeping the canites on their own. Yes, so, absolutely. But, um, so let's see. we got uh, basically three special rules here. They get murderous prowess. So models, uh, but not their mounts, get to re-roll to wound rolls of a one when making close combat attacks. That's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's not bad at all. It is. It's a, it's a nice addition. Uh, you know, I don't consider it to be overpowered because it's specifically stated that it's in close combat and it is rolls of one. But, again, it's a nice benefit, uh, especially for an army that has a lot of, uh, you know, either low-strength attacks or potentially has a ton of them, which would be great to... Uh, uh, to re-roll the ones on. So I think a nice little pop in the close combat for toughness three elves. Yeah, no kidding. Um, especially when you got those uh, executioners coming in, and th- sometimes those guys, those clowns are wounding on twos. So uh, when you got that going on, they're pretty much re-rolling just about anything. So, But uh, let's see, what else they got? Uh, Hecardi's Blessing. So if you're playing Dark Magic, you get to add one to casting. So that's, isn't that pretty much the same as what the... Uh, it's pretty much the same with the high elves have uh, for high magic, isn't it? It is, except I think that the, the uh, lore of dark magic. I'm sure we'll talk about it in depth later, but <laughs> it's it's fairly it's fairly situational. And I think that this is, while a nice rule, if you're using this lore, I don't think we're going to be seeing a ton of this lore out there. Okay, so you think they're still going to be sticking with shadow and death? Well, no, that's one of the others. And again, I don't want to jump around, but uh, uh, now they've allowed the Dark Elves to actually use any one of the regular eight-book lores, which is, was a nice expansion for them in terms of giving them some more arsenal in that way. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so when we get down to that, I, yeah, I'm curious to see what you think people might be uh, taking. And then Eternal Hatred finally makes sense. Um, I mean, just the explanation of it. Before, right. you know, before it was, they hate everybody... But they hate high elves all the time. Now it's they hate whoever they list all the time, every round, which is kind of you know what it, what it it's how it made sense. You know, um, it's not it's not a bad little rule. No, except that you know obviously very few models have this rule. So while it's there and it's explained properly, so you now know who it is they're hating. You know, it's pretty much eternal hatred high elves for for most of the entries. Yeah, yeah, hatred high elves for most of it. It's just just the characters it seems get the eternal hatred. But right. you know, it's it's not bad when you got your character every single round um, you know, rerolling uh rerolling to hits cuz I know I get to do that with the uh with the Strigoi Ghoul King and boy that comes in handy. <laughs> and then they've got uh all their different repeater Weapons, and I mean, this is the basics. This is pretty much the same as it was before, wasn't it? That's correct. All of the uh, uh, all of these weapons are the same as they were before, and you know that's not to say that they weren't good to start with. The repeater crossbow is obviously a mainstay of the army, and uh, I mean, it remains the same, which is a good thing because it's very, very useful. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the armor piercing strength three, multiple shots, um, twelve inch. If you're going with the hand bows, that just that's not not armor piercing, but quick to fire. Do you got a preference between the two of them? Do you go with the range or do you go with the uh, quick to fire? It's mostly the uh, repeater crossbows that are the standard. The uh, the hand bows can only be given to very few units. Corsairs being one that have that upgrade available, and then uh, 
some of the characters obviously have this as well, but because the range is so short, uh, the quick-to-fire part isn't really uh, worth making the swap out for. It's the repeater crossbows that you see the most of. They're very, very useful and very, very good. All right, cool. And the Sea Dragon Cloak got better too, didn't it? It sure did. Uh, <laughs> before, you would get plus one armor for you know close combat and plus two against shooting attacks. Now it's basically plus two all day long, uh, which is a nice plus because it it's just one of those deals where... You know, you have the because of the low toughness of the army. Armor is very, very important, especially for keeping characters alive. And you know, it's pretty easy to get them to max or near max armor with the cloak, as well as heavy armor and so forth. So it's 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 definitely a good item for this army because these guys fall over a lot. Yeah, because even um, yeah, I just that's just great with the sea dragon cloak. Even with the light armor and the and the shield, they're dropping down to a, a three up armor save. So, I mean, you can get general characters down pretty gl- pretty well. In fact, if you took the charm shield, you can get them to two-up armor save. Most, so. of them have, most of them have an option to buy heavy armor. Uh, we'll talk oh, yeah, about there it is. Yeah. Them. So, so, you know, you get them that heavy armor, regular shield, you're already a two-up. You can give them the enchanted shield, or you can mount them, of course. And, and uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to get the characters to a one-up save, which, you know, quite frankly, they need a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they're... When you roll the wound, you're almost always wounding. So they, they're constantly needing to get their, uh, their armor saves. I kind of like it though. Now you know they, uh, they got ASF basically throughout the army too. Which even though it's not listed as an army special rule, that's a big change. What do you think of that? I, honestly, it it's actually going to play very very similar to how it was playing before. So in the old book. Old being, you know, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> um, the the rule was was that they all had hatred, right? So you right. had hatred everything in the first round. So you got your rerolls with the hatred, and because elves uh, primarily have the highest initiative in the game, minus a few specific units and a few armies. In general, they have very high initiative. So they were usually going first, and they were getting the reroll as a result of the hatred. So now. The hatred's gone, except for the high elves. But because you have ASF now, you're always going first anyway. And because you will likely have higher initiative, you'll be re-rolling. The benefit there, of course, being that you'll have higher initiative every turn, and so uh, you know you'll keep re-rolling. So that's uh, it's a nice little pop for combats that become protracted. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, because that's what I was thinking. Is it's, you're not just getting in the first round anymore. Now you're now as as long as your initiative's good, you're getting it every round. And then they throw in hatred for high elves just to make sure that they don't cancel each other out. So the high elves lose their rerolls, but the dark elves don't. So yeah, the dark the dark elves um, had that uh, as a benefit against the high elves in the last book as well, where against high elves they gained hatred ongoing. Yes. Uh, you know, high elves against dark elves become immune to panic, which you know is a nice plus for them as well. But uh, for the um, for the dark elves, it's definitely a big benefit. So yes, the ASF cancels out, but they still have hatred. In the, but now in the first round against the high elves. So let me ask you this: before we jump into the the magic lore and and the magic items and all the units and stuff like that, what's your general impression of the book? I mean, people have been. I've been listening to a lot of different, you know, shows and well, not a lot. I try not to listen to too many uh, army reviews before we do our own. But um, 
you know, you're hearing a lot of people saying, oh, the high elves got screwed. This is so much better than the high elves. Um, you know, this, 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 is, this is too good. What's, what's, your, what's your opinion on the book? Is it, is, it, is it the death of the high elves? Is it, uh, what, do you, what do you think? I think that this book is pretty much in line with the high elves, but it's a, but it's a different type of book. Um, in general, Dark Elves definitely came back to the crowd with this book. It's it's a book that did what it needed to do for the most part. It took away a lot of the toys that made this army very painful to play against in the past. Um, I think a lot of things were brought into line. Uh, there's a couple of things here that people kind of point out as, you know, I don't know if you want to call it overpowered, but too good. Uh, quite honestly, I don't see that here very much. Uh, I think in general it's a good book. It's a it's a fair book. It's a fairly even book. There's there's some cool combinations, but there's some cool combinations in every book. So I I'm not I don't think I'm not disappointed with the book. It's certainly playable. Um, in general, I like the book. It's fairly even handed. It gives you some options. Uh, a lot of stuff in here is usable. It's not like you only have one way to play this book. There's definitely right. some options of what you can take that's usable. Uh, and I'm talking about in a competitive environment because in a pickup game, anything's usable, of course. <laughs> um, but if you want to play a competitive list but still play different lists than what everybody's bringing, you have some options here. And, in fact, there's already some debates you know, going on about which unit is best when played in this combination or this combination. And to me, that's a great thing. Because if there's no debate about what's better, then all you're going to see is like the same kind of list. So overall, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the book. Uh, I think that they've lost a few things that brought them back to the pack. At the same time, they've opened up some options for them. It's good. It's a good thing. Yeah, I was, I was thinking along similar lines. They've got some really good stuff. There's some stuff here I look at that's a little frightening. You look at it like, ooh, that's going to be tough. But um, it's like you said, I don't, I don't see anything... That stands out as the one plus in this uh, in this army, which is which is nice. Um, like I said, I'm really excited to see what happens when it jumps on the table, because I think the one thing you're not going to see is the same build you had before. Um, I think you're going to see a lot a more variety in the builds, um, at least for a while, because um, it's not going to be a double hydra, um, you know, big block list, and you can't you can't you can't take the 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 lord the dread lord like you used to take him, um, I also think you know with people complaining about how the, a lot of the stuff's overpowered, you know the, the cost went up on your basic core troops, so they're they're going back I think a little to a, a more of an elite, you know where it's they're gonna ha- they're gonna have fewer models on the table, so right. they might have gotten a little more powerful with their rerolls and all that, but there's there's fewer of them to, to, to bring to bring the fight to me. So I got my fingers crossed on that, <laughs> you know. So, all right. Well, then, why don't we jump over to the magic lore? So flip page, flip page. Here we go. The lore of dark magic. Now, uh, I'll kind of jump on this, and then I'll get your opinion on this, because, uh, sure. like I said, you've been playing it longer. Now, we start off with the lore attribute of spiteful conjuration. Uh, when they cast a successful hex, magic missile, or direct damage spell, if it's not dispelled and there's any double in the roll, you get that uh, the target gets two d six strength one hits armor piercing. 
if it's got any triples, they get 3d6 strength one hits with armor piercing. Uh, and then you do the hits after you're done with the spell. Um, what do you think of this? I think that it's a, you know, it's not a bad pop to whatever you're trying to do to your opponent's unit. Obviously, strength one hits are not normally overpowering. Uh, the fact that their armor piercing is interesting, but uh, it, it's, I think that ultimately it's not going to have any huge impact on the game unless, uh, unless you just get some really lucky rolls, which, you know, when you're throwing a bunch of dice, that's what typically happens. You know, once in a while, this thing will, will have some, some, uh, some impact on something, but in general, things are at least toughness three, if not higher, and so you're you're wounding on so you're throwing two d six, an average of seven strength one hits, which will net you one wound on something. Uh, not exactly right. Know, one one wound. wound and then minus one to their armor save. Right. I was basically thinking, and I I, I keep I, I know I'm going to keep saying this throughout the review, but uh, it fits the fluff that whole death of a thousand cuts thing. Um, you know, they're not soup. You know, they're not coming in. You know, uh, you know, with 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 a giant mallet beating you down, but they're going to get a few hits in, and then they get in one more, or you get a really lucky roll, and they get in two more, and it's just it's those extra little little nicks and notches that they're getting in that hopefully, those are the things you're hoping can turn the tide. You know what I'm saying? I, I I'm also noticing just a general trend that we've seen since the start of Eighth Edition. This game just tries to get you to throw more and more dice. <laughs> and well, that's 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 just it. So so basically, you're 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 throwing handfuls of dice, and it just feels like you throw a bunch of dice around, and then you remove a model or two. So there's, I, I guess they just keep trying to get you to throw dice as much as they possibly can, and this kind of goes in line with that. That's true. I can see what you're saying. It's kind of fun throwing big big handfuls of dice, though. So I mean, if, if oh no, <laughs> so. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a thing, you know. <laughs> All right, so once again, you know what? I, I, it's just I, I, one of the things that I liked is how much this book, how, how they tried to, they're high elves who have gone, you know, gone a little wonky. So I like the similarities but that, that you see between them, them all having ASF now, them having the double signature spell. Or that the uh, yeah in here, um, just like I said, little things that in my opinion, fluff wise, remind me that they used to be high elves, you know, um, and I mean they're little simple things like that, but I I kind of enjoy them. So we get the first signature spell, power of darkness, goes on an eight plus, and this was really a weird one. It's the the augment plus one to the strength until the next magic phase. Then you get D three power dice. Which power of darkness used to be just to get the D three power dice. Now you get a strength bonus, but if you generate three dice, you take a wound with no armor saves. Well, it's actually not quite as good as it first reads because the the key to this spell is what it says in the very first sentence, and that is this: Power of darkness is an augment spell that targets the caster's unit. Oh, you know what? I skipped over that when I was reading. I didn't even that's, realize that. That's a crucial. That's a crucial piece for this because. So basically, you can only cast this spell on the unit that the caster's in. Okay. okay. And what that implies is is that, yeah, you're getting the plus one strength, but if you're going to be using that, that means your caster's unit's in combat, which, you know, is not necessarily a great thing. Ah, so, so the, the strength bonus really is most of the time going to be moot because you're not going to have this unit in combat. Uh, well, I mean, you know, if you want to throw your casters into combat, by all means, but... Uh, <laughs> 
what I'm saying is, is while it's nice to pick up the plus one to their strength, I think the, you know, that that's a <laughs> it's a questionable uh, it's a questionable benefit. To didn't, me. You know what? I didn't even notice that, and I must have read this over half a dozen times. But because I, I was just thinking, you know, before you're just it's the caster adding his own dice. So even when you mention it, the fact that it's your own unit, I'm like, well, that makes sense because it's. It was basically just used to be just on the caster. So now you get plus one strength of the unit. But, yeah, no, I don't want to get them in combat. So I guess I suppose if you get in a bad way and uh, and you, you don't have much of a choice, it's not a bad thing. But like you said, I think I think you're right. That's pretty situational, isn't it? It is. It's 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 situational. And that, that uh, theme, if you will, kind of goes through the whole lore as far as I'm concerned, where it, it looks pretty cool, but there are only certain circumstances in which it's cool. Uh, the reason why this particular spell is such a step back, in my eyes, for the Dark Elves is because, as you know, this was a spell that they used to have inherently regardless of lore. So, uh, Power of Darkness was something you were able to get even if you were using Shadow or Death or another, another oh, lore. Yeah. Whereas... This particular spell is obviously now one of the two signature spells you can collect, so you can only get it if you're using the lore of dark magic. So you're taking this lore, this is one of the signature spells, and it's it's still good, but if it's if if you roll well and you get your three power dice, then you're gonna take a wound with no armor saves, which, you know, even if you have a four plus word save on your level four, for example, gives you a fifty fifty percent chance of taking a wound on your, you know, caster lord, which is not necessarily, you know, the best thing that could happen to you. Yeah, so, no, no kidding. Yeah, so it's, it's again, this spell is nowhere near as useful as it used to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. And yeah, like you said before, yeah, it used to be inherent in everybody. Believe me, I know, because when this, uh, I went, beginning of 8th edition, when I would play against Christopher's Dark Elves, he would sit around and take three or four level ones and just power darkness them all up and wind up with, a bajillion dice in the magic phase and just sit there and bowl me over every time. So, yeah, this really limits that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. All yes. right. Jeez. Okay, so Doombolt is the other one. This one I kind of like. It casts on a 12, which is a little bit high for what's generally a signature spell. But it's a magic missile, 18-inch, so it's a little short on the range. But it's 2d6 strength, 5 hits. And you could bump it to 4d6 if you double the casting cost. So. Right. Well, uh, as you said, it's it's a it's a good magic missile at two uh, d six strength five. The problem is range, which is a problem with this lore in general, and that's something we'll keep talking about as we go here. So it's it's a relatively short range for a magic missile, um, and bumping it up to a twenty four plus is really questionable because that's a very very high casting value. So you can throw the forty six strength five hits at it, but then you're basically either looking for double sixes or just a really really good roll. So I think that in general, you know, again, right. it's a good magic missile, but, you hey, know. But don't forget, if you get that 4d6 and you get those doubles, you get another 2d6 strength one hits. Right. Don't forget those. <laughs> it's going to turn you the You never time. know. <laughs> you never know. All right, so the basic lore. Here we go. Chill Wind goes off on a 5. Magic missile. There's 24-inch. 2d6 strength 2 hits. If the target suffers any unsaved wounds, all models in the unit are minus 1 to their ballistic skill till the start of the next magic phase. Right. So this is a major step back for this particular spell. Uh, here's the reason why. Chillwind's claim to fame in the old book was basically that 
it was it was 2d6 strength 3 hits but the benefit of it was was that if a model was that if a unit suffered even one wound they couldn't shoot the following turn oh yeah so, oh and it was strength it, 4 hits too right it was strength 4 and i'm saying you only need basically you were throwing that magic missile for one purpose only to get at least one wound on a block of shooting troops and then that unit couldn't shoot the following shooting phase that wow. was the benefit of this spell. Yeah, so this spell took a massive step back in that it's now strength 2 hits, although 2d6. But the big one is is that it's just a minus 1 ballistic skill, which means that they can still shoot just fine. They would just suffer a minus 1 to their ballistic skill. Um, again, a big step back for this spell, which used to be somewhat situational, but very, very useful against uh, armies with shooting units, which you can take one wound off and then prevent from shooting altogether. Yeah, that that is a huge difference. Okay. So, okay, let's jump to Word of Pain then. This one goes off on a 9, 24-inch hex spell. All models in the target unit suffer negative D3 to their weapon skill and ballistic skill till the start of the caster's next magic phase roll once for both. You can do it to strengthen initiative also for 12. So you get four stats at minus D3, and it's not even doubling the cost. So uh, this one seems pretty good. It is. It's a, it's a very nice hex. It's got a nice range of 24 inches and a casting value of 12, which isn't particularly high. Remember that Dark Elf Wizards gets plus one for casting this particular lore. So um, basically a 12 is not that high, so a level four would only need a seven to get it off. And you're able to reduce strength, initiative, weapon, and ballistic skill all in one shot by D3. A pretty powerful hex. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, so we're on to Bladewind. Uh, Bladewind casts on a 9, direct damage, 24 inches. Pass Every model pass a weapon skill test or take a strength 4 armor piercing hit. Right. Obviously, um, uh, Certain units, certain armies suffer from low weapon skills. So against armies like that, uh, taking a strength four hit could be uh, very, very useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, you're not throwing this one against any sort of elite units or anything like that. This is going against going against um, your uh, your grunts and your uh, your basic uh, low level core units. Sure, but even even against uh, something like, for example, let's take a huge unit of zombies. Yeah, with weapon skill one, they're dead. With the weapon skill one. I mean, most of those, uh, you know, only one in six models is going to pass this test. Oh, yeah. That was the so, first thing I thought of when I saw it was, oh, my zombies will get taken right off the board, the whole unit. Yeah, so, so, so certain armies that suffer from low weapon skill, um, although, uh, as you said, the elite... Uh, the elite units, you know, all have usually very high weapon skills, so they'll pass the test for the most part. Uh, certain blocks, especially the larger blocks of the low of the low weapon skill models, could 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 potentially suffer from this. Again, the theme continues. It's a it's potentially a situationally positive spell, but in general, it'll have limited use. I see what you're saying. Uh, Shroud of Despair, ten up. Or ten, uh, cast on a 10, hex spell, all enemy units within 12 inches. Till the start of your next magic phase, 
The targets cannot benefit from hold your ground or inspiring presence. In addition, whenever a target unit fails a leadership test of any kind, all target units, including the one that failed, suffer minus one to their leadership until the start of the caster's next magic phase, and it is cumulative with them, with itself. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those spells that's really long and has a whole lot of stuff to it, and it sounds really good, but... What do you think? Because I'm thinking, if you had a lot of these units in combat and you can get one to fail, you could really start a chain reaction. Well, A, you're starting a chain reaction. And B, there are certain combats where the ability to, you know, use the general's leadership uh, and or, you know, the inspiring presence. For, I'll give you a perfect example. Units like, for example, take, take a unit of trolls. You know, you have a big block of trolls in combat, okay, uh, they have a very, very low leadership on their own. Now, if right. generals hanging around close, you know, may not be an issue. But, you know, if you're preventing the general's leadership to be used and the BSB reroll to be used, could be very, very painful. Another possibility could be like a block of demons in combat. Without the general's leadership, all of a sudden, they're lower leadership. And who knows? You get one unit to fail, another unit to fail. Before you know it, you're having them pop more and more. So, uh you know, other other armies suffer from low leadership. Ogres is another one that right. rely heavily on, on um, generals' leadership, usually augmented by a banner. So there are um, a number of armies where leadership has a huge benefit to them, and I think this is one of the better spells in the lore. The only, the only problem with it, again, is 12-inch 12 12 range. And here's the thing, because when I look at it, yes, it's 12 inch range, it's all units within 12 inches, but the way to make that chain reaction work is you got to have this in the middle, and you got to have three or four combats going on. So once again, I, at least that's what I was thinking, is it's situational, because, I mean, they gotta, they got to fail these leadership tests in order to make all this happen. Well, you know, after the magic phase, you've only got the combat phase. You've got So you've got to get in there and make them... It, it, it's only going to work, it seems to me at least, at, at that moment when you are jumping in with everything. I'm atta- charging here, charging here, charging here, charging here, charging here. Okay, now I get in and get this off. So it's, it's during the big push. Uh, if you've only got one unit in combat, then you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that whole. Uh, you know, it's not going to cascade through all the units. So at least that was my concern with it. When I looked at it, I first said, wow, this sounds great. And I said, well, but wait, it's only going to work then. Right. And okay. that's and that's the theme throughout the lore yep. is that it's great, but it's only when. You know, and that's that's basically the whole concept here is that all of these spells potentially could be useful under circumstances, but that's it. That's, you know. Yeah, you have to know when those circumstances are, what you have, and you have to, you have to really get everything set up on the table to ma- to maximize out of that spell. So, all right, uh, Soul Stealer cast on an eleven, direct damage. Put the small round template anywhere within eighteen inches of the wizard, then scatter it d six inches. All models hit by the template suffer a strength two hit with no armor saves. Roll a d6 for each unsaved wound inflicted by it. On a 4-up, the caster gains a single wound to a maximum of 10. Uh, you can make this a 36-inch range uh, for a 14. So what do you think of that? Uh, again, it's 
a very situational spell. Uh, small template. I mean, it's a nice hit, but again, it's at strength two. Uh, the fact that it's no armor saves is nice, but you know, again, strength two, and the fact that uh, <clears throat> your wizard is going to start gaining, you know, on average, fifty percent of those wounds for himself. Yeah, you could rack up some wounds. Maybe that would permit you to get a little bit more aggressive with power of darkness casting. Uh, but in general, again, eighteen inches. Uh, you'd have to go to 14 plus to get it off on a 36 inch range, which is, you know, more or less doable. So <clears throat> I don't think it's a bad spell, but again, what limits its usefulness is the strength to component to it. I, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And then finally, you get Arnzapal's Black Horror at the Vortex, remains in play, goes on a 15 plus, small round template. Uh, Point out a direction, roll the artillery dice, and multiply it by the caster's wizard level. So, obviously, the, the lord level wizard is going to have a better time with this than the uh, hero level. Any model touched by or passed over by the template must pass a strength test or be slain outright with no armor saves. You may get a ward save if you have one, and it remains in play if he succeeds. So it's a strength test or take him off. Uh, and then if it's a misfire, center it and move it, that kind of thing. Uh, it travels in a random direction after that. A number of inches equal to a roll on the artillery dice. And any misfires, it uh, goes away. You can use the large template on a 25. So it's pretty much a basic, uh, it's a, I mean, it's a basic uh, vortex, isn't it? It's a basic vortex versus strength. Um, the only difference, of course, is is that it does allow you to take a uh, ward save. Yeah, yeah, that and that's well, I, I, I can appreciate that. And there you go. And I, I, I kind of like that that popped in. You didn't see that in a lot of the earlier ones. And now, granted, it's just in this one. So, of course, you're going to have dark elf players, other places, crying foul. But this also relieves the whole, um, you know, people going in and having to comp the spell because they don't want all their characters getting taken off now they at least have a ward save they can use their ward save it's not a no save of any kind so you at least have a chance to save your characters because they're probably the ones who are going to have that that save so at least that's my opinion you know you're you're you're, i think you're taking away that uh that complaint that people had for when they stick all their characters in a unit like you know and then that dies automatically at least i don't know that's what i was thinking yeah, I mean, it's a typical vortex. There, there's, uh, um, you know, the test of strength is usually not the most uh, beneficial test, but in general, characters have higher characteristics in each area, so whether you're testing strength or toughness or initiative, they usually have a pretty good number there. Um, you know, the fact that it allows you to have a ward save is, is nice for characters. They also get the lookout, sir, because it is a template. Um, oh, yeah, they get the lookout, sir, before that, too. But the... Um, you know, obviously, against certain armies that have a lot of ward saves, like demons, for example, you know, the spell would have, you know, that oh, much, that much less of an that. impact. I didn't even think about the demons. Well, that's the lore. So, like, I think we've already got the, our opinion down here. It is obviously it is situational. Um, it's you know what? It's, it's I'm sitting here talking with you, and it's it wasn't as good as as I thought it was on first reading. Like, there's nothing in there that's necessarily bad, but there's nothing that sticks out and says, "Ooh, wow, this is the lore." This is going to do it for me. Well, the the Dark Elves in general <clears throat> took 
somewhat of a hit in the magic phase. The, the big benefit of the Dark Elf magic phase prior to this book coming out was two things. Number one was they could throw an unlimited number of dice at any spell. Yeah. That, that ability is now gone. So they are limited by six dice just like every other race. So that's number one. And number two, they were able to take Power of Darkness, which was just an inherent spell um, at any time with any lore. So you could basically take that spell as well as all other spells from another lore that you were entitled to and have the benefit of adding Power Dice, which in this edition is very powerful. So those two things are now gone. You can no longer throw as many dice as you want. And if you want to have Power of Darkness, which is not as good anymore, you also have to take the Lore of Dark Magic, which, as we just read, is not all that. So the combination of those things, uh, the combination of the fact that, yeah, they get the plus one to cast, but again, strictly with the Lore of Dark Magic, um, you know, they've taken the magic phase of the Dark Elves and brought it... I, I, I think these are good changes. They brought them into, into line with uh, other, uh, other races, and I think that it's, it's probably a good change because the way it was working before was a little bit too much. Uh, the other aspect that I think they brought into it, which is nice, and that's on the plus side, and that is they've opened up the lures in the big book, and they basically said, here, you can have any one of them, which is nice because there are certain lures that I think will certainly get a look just like oh, sure. any other. Well, and once again, and it also makes sense as it's going back to that whole idea of they're getting the same sort of they're getting the same sort of um, bonus to their uh, or they're getting the same lores that the high elves get. There's no reason why they wouldn't know all the lores if the high elves knew them if they were the same race living in the same place for that long. Right. Uh, the only difference I think in general is that <clears throat> the high elves. Uh, inherent lore of high magic is, you know, substantially better than this lore of magic. So I think that's one of the advantages. I, I mean, I'm not sure why we're comparing those two books, but... Um, well, I but just if, think because, I mean, you know, it's just the fluff-wise, the races are together, and um, I don't know, I've, just, I've been hearing a lot of hubbub just from, oh my goodness, the high elves are just completely screwed every time they play the dark... I mean, you have... I've, I've heard... I'm not saying all, not all high elf players, and I know Chris wasn't saying this too much at all, but I've heard a lot of high elf players, you know, with the big old whinging that, oh no, my, this is this is the perfect counter to my army. They're going to destroy me. Yeah, well, so. uh, I'm not sure what they're talking about, and I'll be you know, <laughs> interested to hear that. Uh, strictly speaking, on the magic side, which is what we're discussing currently, uh, the high elves, I think, definitely have a uh, significant advantage because their inherent role uh, lore that they get is far better than the lore here that's been offered to the Dark Elves. Now, they both have access to all eight regular roars from the book, so that is certainly, you know, even, if you will. Absolutely. All right, uh, you know what? It's time to take a break. Let's take a break, Alex, and we will come back with the Black Armory and all of the fancy new magic items. Sounds good. Hey, 
Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm. It doesn't separate from the base. They custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. Hey folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mears Miniatures at MearsMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish-level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com, and seriously, guys, you'll be glad you did. We are back again. It's me, Dave, here without Chris, but with Alex Nikotenko, our resident Dark Elf expert, and we're going to talk Black Armory. All right, Alex. Um, you know what? Let's do it this way. Any one of these, let's talk, any one of these stand out to you? Uh, a few, absolutely. Well, why don't we talk those first, and then we'll, and then we'll, hit, the, we'll hit the clunkers last. Okay. Well, uh, just going in order, uh, uh, I think Chillblade which is a 50-point magic weapon, is certainly a very usable weapon. Uh, it basically <clears throat> gives you uh, automatic wounding. So any yep. hits that you, uh, that you make, well, let's read it. Attacks made with the chill blade wound automatically. Any model that suffers one or more unsaved wounds from the chill blade must immediately pass a toughness test or suffer minus three to its characteristics until the end of the following combat phase. So minus three attacks to a minimum of one. To the end of the following combat phase. So you do it in... So it, it almost... Yeah, so it's going to last a full round of fighting. So, oh. it's, it's two, so it, here is, here is the, the, the benefit of this weapon. Obviously, it wounds automatically. One of the issues that um, Dark Elves have, like all Elves, is they're not, you know, sporting really high strengths. So it's nice to be able to have hits, which they mostly re-roll and then those turn into wounds. So that's the nice plus. And because they have ASF and high um, initiative, they usually go first, they usually re-roll, so whatever they're fighting will then have to pass a toughness test. If they happen to fail that toughness test, then that model uh, loses minus three to its attack characteristic until the end of the following combat phase. So if that model hasn't gone yet, so let's say you're fighting a you know, a Dark Elf character that's carrying this weapon, they go first, they happen to put at least one wound on you that goes through, okay? 
At that point, if that model hasn't gone yet, it's now lost minus three attacks for this combat phase and the next combat phase. Yeah, that's that is a that is a huge penalty for uh, for something in a challenge, for example, or if you're fighting a monster or or some some model that has multiple attacks like that. It's it's a, it's a big deal. I think it's a um, I mean, fifty points is certainly not a cheap weapon, but I think it's eminently usable, and for what it does, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's that's not a bad one at all. I mean, obviously, you're not going to put that one on a hero because you're not going to send him out there naked, but that's a... Oh, I don't want to fight a Lord winging, spinning that thing around. Not at all. You go low enough, then you're only hitting on fives. That's just, that is pretty brutal. All right, so what else do you like in here? Um, let's see. Uh, the Cloak of Twilight is an interesting item. Uh, it gives you another opportunity to slap a, a high ward on a character that you're not expecting to be in combat. So, for example, this would be a great item to have on a character that's uh, sitting on some kind of a dark pegasus or something along those lines that you don't want in combat, like let's say a magic uh, user that's flying around on their own. It gives them... Uh, the wearer of the Cloak of Twilight has a 3-plus ward save against wounds caused by shooting attacks and spells. Furthermore, in the first round of any close combat, the wearer of the cloak has killing blow and multiple wounds D3 special rules. So basically, if you have a model that you're going to keep out of combat, meaning that this ward is what they're utilizing for most of the saves that they're throwing. It gives them a nice 3-plus ward save that costs 50 points. Right. It's it's a usable item. Again, it's a little situational. You don't want to put this on a combat hero because obviously then it won't be as useful as you want it to be. But for a character like a caster that you're trying to keep out of combat, I think it's a, it's a neat little item that could be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> I ain't complaining about that one either. So, oh boy, three up more. Okay, so what else you got? Um, let's see here. Well, obviously, we're going to go over to the sacrificial dagger, which is still okay. here, which is baffling to me. <laughs> uh, this item, uh, you know, in the prior book was one of the most hated items, period, because at 25 points, it basically turns your level four caster into a slime. Yeah, um, this uh, this item is a little different, but it does the same thing, and it's still twenty five points. So I'm I'm really I was very pleasantly surprised to still see it in here. Uh, let's read the uh, description. Sure. Uh, what, here, where are we? Uh, once per casting attempt, after the casting dice are rolled, but before the dispel attempt is made, the bearer can sacrifice one model in her unit. Choose which model is sacrificed. It's moved as a casualty with no saves of any kind. Roll a d6. On a 4-up, the Sorceress gains an extra power dice that must be rolled and added to the casting result. Dispel attempts can now be made and the spell resolved. On a 3 or less, the sacrifice has not generated enough power. You can either immediately sacrifice another model from the unit and roll again, following the procedure above, or accept the original casting result. If the bearer is the only model remaining in the unit, no further sacrifices can be attempted. Right. So, uh, when they toned it down. Right. Uh, sort of. So basically, when comparing it to a previous version of this item, before you just kill a model, get a power dice. Now, you're killing a model, and you got to roll on a 4+, plus. you get the die. Uh, if you roll under a 4, the model's dead, and you can choose to kill another model. Now, 
you can still kill him until you get that power die, which means that you're still able to generate that additional power die uh, that you're looking for for the 25 points. The The difference here is, is that you're killing off your unit at a faster clip, and in combination with the fact that your unit now costs more because all of the um, costs of your core units have gone up in price, the cost of these power dice is now much greater. So right. there, is, there is definitely a an increase in cost to using this item uh, from both from the fact that you're killing more models with it and more expensive models with it. In general, it's still a pretty damn good item, and uh, I think we're going to continue to see it as a as a regular item on the level four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for 25 points, getting to add that extra power die, you know. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, an extra D6 is, I mean, it's an extra D6. It's, it's that thing that's going to push you over the top. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't too upset when I saw it there. I mean, it, it, once again, I think it fits the fluff. They, they can't. You know, they they lost with the uh, with the spell. They're not just generating up a whole bunch of dice every with every caster because uh, they have to have it with the with the dark magic. Um, they're not sacrificing. You know, oh, I roll that. That's not enough. Sacrifice another roll enough. Sacrifice another roll it up. Um, they might still have to sacrifice two or three guys just to get the one die. But it's still that little push, that one thing that they can use to push it over the top. So I kind, I kind of like it. Um, I, like I said, I was surprised it was in there too. I thought it was one that was going to be gone, but uh, I don't, I didn't have a problem uh, with it being there. Considering the fact that um, the dark elves took such a big hit in the other aspects of the magic phase, I, I don't have a problem with it nearly as much anymore. Although, again, still a pretty darn good item. All right, so uh, are those your those your big ones? Those are the ones that I find to be the most generally mainstream usable items, at least in my opinion. All right, so let's uh, let's pick out some of these other ones. Uh, I'm going to avoid the hundred pointers because those are too much funny. I'm going to I want to talk about those later. But okay. uh, we got that black dragon egg, fifty right. points, one use. Uh, bear consumes it at the start of any player turn. For the rest of that turn, he's Strength 6, Toughness 6, and with a Strength 2, Breath Weapon, no armor saves. So I mean, it's, not, it's not a bad item. It's not that you can't use it. It's just at 50 points, it's pretty expensive. Yep. And it only, it's, it, it only lasts for, for, for that one turn on a one-use basis. So it's a, it's a situational you know, item that you pop. Strength 6 and Toughness 6 are really nice to have. But, again, one turn, one item, 50 points. I don't expect to see a whole lot of this item. Aha, got you. I see what you're saying now. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, for 50 points, it is a little expensive. Uh, it might be one that's fun to bring in sort of to, as a surprise. But uh, I got a feeling that it's just because of the points, like you said, it it's going to be dropped for more useful items, I think. So then let's move on to what's next. The cl- well, we did the Cloak of Twilight. The Black Amulet. 60 points. Four up ward save. And every time you make a successful ward save while fighting in a challenge, it does one wound on the bear's opponent with no armor saves. So four up ward, and every time you pass it, it does a wound, just inflicts a wound. It's not even a hit. Automatically wounds them with no armor save. Right. Uh, the the caveat there is it's in a challenge, so so that aspect of the black amulet only comes into play in a challenge. So while this 
character carrying the 60-point item is in the challenge, every time he makes a ward save, he wounds his opponent with no armor saves. So uh, you literally have a 50-50 chance of bouncing the wound back to him, uh, which is nice. But again, that's strictly in a challenge, and the fact that it's a 60-point item, which very much limits the rest of the kit, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying that it's, again, a terrible item, it's, but again, that part of it is situational, and at 60 points, it's, it's pretty darn expensive. Yeah, it's situational, it's expensive, you're only going to get to use it for a, maybe, what, two or three combats in a game, and... Um, the fact is, if you're in a challenge, unless you're fighting a champion, uh, you, there's a good odds that your character's got his own ward save, your your opponent's character. So it's no armor save, but I could bounce that wound back, but he's got, he's still going to have a chance to save it a lot of the time, I think. Correct. So, yeah, that's one. I, yeah, another one you're probably not going to see just due to the cost. Uh, let's see what else we got here. The Gem of Spite. Oh, we, did we talk about the Ring of Hotek? I haven't. No, okay. Well, okay, neither did I then. <laughs> uh, let's see, a 50-point talisman. Magic resistance, three for the bearer. In addition, any enemy wizard that attempts to cast or target a spell on a unit within six inches of the bearer will suffer miscast on a double one as well as a double six, and it does not cause irresistible force. Yeah, this this item took a massive step back. Oh, it was yeah. usable in the last book because it was only 35 points and you miscast on any double. Whereas now, you only miscast on sixes and ones. So it just basically adds the ability, the, the miscast on ones happening as well as the sixes. And again, for 50 points, this is a very, very expensive item that is, you know, at this point not... Not particularly usable, in my opinion. Nope, I got to agree with you there. So, let's see. Gem of Spite is 35 points. Whenever the bear suffers a miscast, the Gem of Spite inflicts a single strength six hit on every enemy wizard within 12 inches. Every time a wound is caused by the Gem of Spite, your opponent can discard a dice from his dispel pool. If they do so, the wound is negated and has no effect. So... What? Why? I don't know. Do you? Would you want to take this? I mean, well, that's why I didn't put it into my list of items <laughs> that are usable. Uh, uh, this item makes very little sense. Uh, I mean, I suppose if you were in the midst of a huge number of enemy wizards within twelve inches of you, and you decided to throw a ton of dice just to make yourself suffer a miscast just so that they would take a strength six hit that they could then avoid by simply discarding a dispel die. I, you know, yeah. I have absolutely no idea what the point of this item is. Yeah, considering that half of at least half of your miscast, you're going to discard D6 uh, ca- power casting dice. So, I mean, what do you get, two wizards, then they discard two dispel dice, and you've discarded D6, which the odds are you're throwing more than two. This one... This one, I, I kind of scratched my head when I looked at it. Yeah, I, I, you know, it has a lot of descriptions in it, but when you read them all and actually try to visualize how any of this works, it, it just doesn't make much of a, you know, much sense in gaming nope. terms. That one is the gem of crap, so. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right, just a few more here. Uh, Tome of Furion, 25 points. When the bearer generates spells from the lore of dark magic, you can choose one spell. The rest must be generated following normal rules. 
So 25 points you get to pick. If you really want to spell, you can guarantee you get it. Right. I think that this would be a great item if you could do that for any lore. The problem is is that they're telling you that this is only usable with the lore of dark magic. So, A, you're not getting an additional spell. You basically, however many spells you would normally get, you just basically get to choose one of them. Right. You know, so it, to me, again, I'm not saying it's a horrible item if there's a spell in the lore of dark magic that you absolutely really, really want to have. But in general, I think that uh, it's not, you know, I think what you that I think we're going to see a whole lot of. I think what you said, though, about um, if it worked for, if it worked for any lore, I think you'd see this in every list. I couldn't agree more because there are certain lores that you absolutely must have certain items from, and it's worth spending 25 points to make sure that that spell is available to you, whereas in this particular lore, which I don't think you're going to see a ton of to begin with, you know, there's not a spell. I mean, the best spell in the lore is probably uh, the Word of Pain or potentially, potentially, I don't even know what else it might be. I guess Black Horror, if you really want a Vortex in there. But, I mean, none of them screams must-have to begin with and then to spend 25 points to secure the one non-must-have spell. I don't see a whole lot of benefit here. Right. I'm kind of, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but if they, and if they did it the other way and did it for all lures, then it would at least have to be doubled in price, though, because that would be, that would be a total one-plus, and I am not a big fan of the absolutely have-to-have-it-in-every-list type of stuff as it is now it's not very useful at all but the way you described it it's almost too good but uh yeah i could see i could see it going that way would be kind of awesome yeah but as it is you know i don't think we're going to see too much of i think that the uh the sack dagger is going to continue to be in my opinion the arcane item of choice here in this uh list of items yeah i think that yeah i think you're right that is the arcane item because the like i said the other two are junk and then the uh the chill blade is going to be the magic weapon of choice because the other option is the hydro blade. <laughs> yeah. 100 points of whatever are you talking about. Oh, boy. Okay. Wielder of the hydro blade has random attacks D6 plus A. So D6 plus whatever his normal attacks are. Right. So uh, in addition, at the start of any round of close combat in which the bearer will fight, he must take a leadership test with a negative 2 modifier before striking any blows. If he passes it, He's fine. If he fails it, he takes a negative five penalty to his weapon skill to a minimum of one, but he gains heroic killing blow till the end of the round. Yeah. What? So, what the yeah, hell? It's, it's a it's a very poorly thought out item. I mean, you have your standard attacks plus d six attacks, so basically you gain d six attacks, but you have to take a leadership test on a minus two no less. Okay, and then if, if you happen to fail that thing, you're at minus five weapon skill, which is a huge blow. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but because you're going to be whiffing a lot, they give you a heroic killing blow just in case. And for the pleasure of all this, you've got to spend 100 points. I, uh, I'd be shocked to see this particular item in action. Well, because that question that always comes up is if you're spending 100 points on this, what are you giving up? Because you're not getting anything else. Right. So you and, got a toughness three dog elf with no protection of, of ward saves of any kind, but now carrying a weapon that may or may not mean anything. Right. I mean, because you got you're, you're gonna. I mean, who are you gonna put this in? You could put it basically on a dreadlord, right? Yep. Which knocks him down to weapon skill two if he fails it, and he's got to pass a, a leadership eight test because he's normally ten. Correct. I could I could possibly 
see someone taking it if you had to pass a straight leadership test. Because on leadership 10, of course, leadership 8 with a re-roll, it's a, it's, it's a safer bet than not. But still, that's just that just seems pretty stupid for an extra D6 attacks. I mean, it's nice, but especially because you could roll a 1. <laughs> and then you're well, also, also, keep this in mind. The base strength of a Dreadlord is 4. Okay, so what you're basically adding for 100 points is D6 strength for attacks. Oh, wow. That's like, uh, well, that's like the, old, that's the old magic missile. <laughs> that's pretty much it. So basically you get to pop one of those. I mean, the bottom line is it's, a, you know, it's, it's an item that I think will, will stay in the book for a while. <laughs> that's the only place you're going to see it is if you open to look for it in the book. There we go. Oh, goodness. Okay, we've got one last... Uh, item, the other 100-point item, the Banner of Nagarith. Uh, all models in the unit carrying the banner have Unbreakable. As do Alethanar, any Shadow Warriors, and any Shadow Walkers from the High Elf book if they're within 12 inches. Yeah, I don't know how they snuck in there, but there you go. Well, they're from Nagarith. It's the Banner of Nagarith. Yeah. And so they must have just been walking by and said, hey, look, the banner. Well, it's magical, so they must have just felt the magic. You know, they're very sensitive to magic. They're elves, so yes, that must are. be it. Of course, okay, Shadow Warriors maybe, which makes them unbreakable, What you know? but big deal because they're coming in units of five or six anyway. Um, Aletha Nard doesn't show up on the table enough. To, or maybe he does, but, you know, he's very wily. Maybe you just don't see him. Yeah, but he's, he's, <laughs> he's invisible. He's in the shadows with the Shadow Warriors. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is it's, another a hundred. I could see, you know, okay, a hundred points for Unbreakable. First of all, my beef with this is, for a hundred points, I'm taking a banner that only is good if I'm losing combat. So I'm I'm planning on losing to use this banner. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, maybe maybe at fifty or at forty. I mean, it's just it's. I mean, it's Unbreakable. It's not. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, Unbreakable is nice. Don't get me wrong, because you could throw this unit into anything, and it's going to stay. It's going to tar pit them. Uh, so if you can get something that, that, that's, that's going to last, I mean, I suppose if you were crazy and threw your BSB in a big uh, bus full of uh, cold one, uh, cold one nights, so you got this one-up armor saves, all this great stuff, and now you know they're never running. But even for 100 points, I would just I would never pay 100 points for my unit to be unbreakable. I just, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Of course, I play, I, I play dwarves and, uh, and vampires. So they either never run or a bunch of those units are already unbreakable. So, Well, it's, a, it's an incredibly expensive manner for what it does. Uh, and, uh, again, you know, at 100 points, it's making your BSB very expensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, because you're taking a magic banner, you can't take any other magic items. So now you got a naked BSB carrying around a 100-point banner. Um, oh, that's yeah. true, yeah. So he's going to have his... Well, I mean, he could have up to a one-up armor save, but yeah, that's he it. He could. So I suppose if you have a giant block of Cold One Knights, for example, you know, you park him in there, he's got high armor, nothing else... Uh, Again, it's so situational and so expensive for what it does. I I doubt we're going to see this thing out there. Uh, maybe somebody will come up with a use for it in some way, but I I 
I'd be surprised. That's one of those I things mean, where you're building your list around it. And once again, you're, exactly. building, you're building your list around a banner. A banner that is only good if you're losing combats. Agreed. And if you go in planning to lose combats, I mean, I just remember, I used to think Unbreakable was so awesome, and then I remember listening to Podhammer. He's like, Unbreakable, adding Unbreakable means you're planning on losing. He's like, it's, it's, yes, it's always good insurance, but, I, you know, my insurance is plant, trying to win the combats is better insurance than just making sure you don't run. So, wow. So, there, yeah, I mean, about three or four good ones, and the rest are kind of clunkers. A couple yep. of them make no sense, too. That, I hate... I hate when you get these items. You only get nine or ten on a list, and two of them are completely. Let's say, who thought of this? Because I want to slap them. Yeah. Well, this is this is the area where the dark elves really take the biggest hit because in the last book, oh. their magic items really set them apart. I mean, it was a book that was just filled with very very useful items, uh, and even uh, when you go beyond the pendant and the dagger and a few of the more obvious ones, there were a couple of other items in there that were very, very situationally good that you saw and could make good use of. In this one, there's a couple of decent items that you're going to see. You're going to see the sack dagger. You're going to see the chill blade being used. Uh, you may see a clock of twilight, very situational. That's pretty much it. Uh, there's only one magic banner in the whole book, and that banner is 100 points. So, in general, I think a massive step back for what it was, which, again, I think brings the army more in line with all the other books, which have all, in fairness, taken a big hit when it comes to magic items, except for ogres, of course. Well, yeah. Now, I'm just looking at the old book here, and, you know, now I know everybody lost some, but as you were pointing out, the Dark Elves had 46 magic items. In the old book. So, I mean, I mean, you knew they were going to drop down to about 10. That's what everybody's got. But you're like, damn. Oh, and I'm looking at the, here, right here. The old banner of Nagareth was 125 points. It made the, the unit unbreakable and gave plus one combat uh, res, res to uh, any friendly unit within 12 inches who was in combat. So, ba- so and they had this basically before. And I bet you it was used as, as I'd, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, no. So, I mean, nobody used it back then, and ain't nobody using it now. Right. There are a couple of cool items in the last book. Uh, just in banners, you had the uh, Sea Serpent banner that made the Corsairs frenzy, which was a very common banner on that unit. Right. You had the banner of murder, which gave the unit armor piercing. Yeah, for 25 points. 25 points. Whereas the same banner in the regular book is 45 points. So, for 20 points less, you got the same benefit, which was a nice banner. You saw the banner of cold blood a lot for 15 points. You got to uh, roll the extra D6 for a leadership test, which you saw a lot used. Um, you also saw the standard of high graph, of course, which was the ASF banner, which they don't need anymore, but right. was very useful. I mean, there was just a ton. Just going through each and every section here, there was a whole bunch of things. I mean, just something simple like a the old Tome of Furion just gave you one additional spell. So knowing five instead of four spells was very useful. Yeah, uh, Star Cloak. You saw that a ton. I mean, just just a whole bunch of very very usable items, which is not the theme anymore because all the other books have gone away from it. So stands to reason that the Dark Elves, you know, take the hit as well. But this was one of the strengths of the army was their magic uh, item list, which is now basically. Oh yeah. Oh look at this, the old Chill Blade. Enemy model suffering hits must pass a toughness test for every hit. If it's failed, they take a wound with no armor save. Model suffering one may not make any close combat attacks that turn. So that was even better, too. 
And then, it was, well, it, it was sort of better. The problem with it is it didn't wound automatically like this one does. Yeah, yeah, it did. I think it says no normal roll to wound is made for attacks with the chill blade. Oh, okay. so yeah, so they yeah, you don't have to roll the wound. It was it was auto wound too. So, well, let's not dwell on the old book. But I just thought it was kind of interesting because I mean, seriously, I mean, I just almost fifty magic items. So yeah, you knew they were going to take a hit on that. No, no, and, and certain <laughs> items like dependent, for example, really should have never been there to begin with. I mean, that was just a stupid item. Yeah, uh, uh, you with know, the power creep with the armor that starts off weak, but as soon as you kill a few people, you're suddenly at a one-up armor save or something. For fi- for fifteen points, that item was was broken beyond all reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, there there was definitely a number of very very good usable items in there. Um, the original Ring of Hotak. You know, very very usable. It's it's what allowed actually a number of uh, armies that we saw that were pretty successful with no magic users at all, because it had kind of a built-in magic defense for you. Right. Um, so, I mean, we'll 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 say goodbye to those items and uh, <laughs> move on without. Exactly. All right. So, um, you know what? Let's take a break, and when we come back, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about the Lord choices? Okay. All right. Cool. Dark elves are no strangers to war. Their heartless credo is that the strong take whatever they wish, and that the weak choke on their own blood. There is no realm that has not suffered the predations of their corsairs, or the blood-maddened march of Cain's worshippers. Every victory against the barbarians of primitive lands strengthens the battle against the hated high elves, whether by an influx of fresh slaves, the honing of battle, or simply the culling of the weak from the dark elves' ranks. So that's Dark Elves in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least part of them. Yeah. Okay, hey, folks. um, Obviously, you just listened to Alex and I um, going through and discussing uh, a bunch of the Dark Elves stuff. Obviously, Chris is back. Feeling better? Feeling better, yeah. Thanks for Alex to step in and kind of work with you, David, on that segment of the Dark Elves. Oh, yeah. And he will be back for uh, the next episode as well. Um, now, folks, um, we have some recordings with Alex and I that we did not play on this episode, uh, mainly because it was running really long. I mean, we we try to keep even these these army reviews to no more than three hours an episode, and this one's over. So, basically, we saved a little bit of the, uh, well, a lot bit of the interview between me talking to Alex going over some of the stuff and we're going to plop that into the next episode so it'll be mostly mostly all of us but there's going to be a part where we go back and cover right cover that part Um, if if the sound quality was a little bad with uh, Alex and I uh, that's totally my fault I apologize something was funky with my computer and I, I couldn't figure out how to fix it but I was having a little issues with the computer. It wasn't Alex's fault at all with the Skype. Um, I, it's it's probably not nearly as bad as I think it is, right? Because I'm a perfectionist. I, 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 yeah, it, I, it should be. The sound quality is important. My OCD kicks in. You know what? I, I'm not I'm not naming any shows. I'm not complaining about other shows. If I can't hear all the people talking and I can't 
figure out whatever. I, I, it's one of those things that makes you want to turn, turn it off to. and go pick sure. another podcast. Sure. Uh, I really, I've prided ourselves. The, we had one bad Skype interview, and that was actually when we had Helen and Wayne on, like, almost two years ago. But it sounds like you've fixed that Skype issue. I have fixed the problem, and then something went wonky with my computer, and all of those things that I adjusted somehow reset to back mm. to the old settings, and I didn't realize it. I couldn't figure out what it was. And the funny thing is, it's got a weird sound wave pattern, like when you're editing and you see the sound wave, and I didn't know what it was until I went to dump the card and check it, that the, that everything was there, and I saw that exact same sound wave pattern, which is not an even pattern, and that tipped me off, and I said, oh, crap, this is... What, and wow. So then I came down, and it took me like 45 minutes to fix it. Problem. You got the problem under control, though. I think like. I do. Okay, so good. next... Next episode, the stuff, Alex will be crystal clear just like when Greg's on with After yep, Eleanor yep. or here is our European correspondent. Mm-hmm. It'll be clear, nice. hopefully. But uh, if anyone had trouble with that or was annoyed with the little sound issues, I do apologize. That was totally my fault. Um, but so that's it. <sighs> Didn't get as deep into the Army book as some of the other reviews. I mean, people... Not yet, but we will. We will, and we will get we'll in there. We'll talk about builds and strategies. All of that, that next episode. Yep. Um, and we hope you guys are enjoying the fluff. Please come on our forums. Yeah, tell us what you thought. Or, uh, or tweet at us, yeah. you know, uh, Topher, Chris Yu, or, or Garage Hammer, obviously. Um, what do you think of us sitting? I mean, obviously, the, on, we honestly planned for one hour of fluff. That was the plan, <laughs> and we know we always go long, but we had no intent. We were going to just. We have to fit it. It was, it was a fun discussion. Dark elves are a fun army to talk about. Uh, and well, and we sort of. I mean, with the the revelations yeah. that we. Had, yeah. I mean, that sparked. I mean, that's. We went right off the show notes. <laughs> well, yeah. Then, then the conversation to kind of took on its own. Went life. away. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're hoping you're liking that. So, other than that, you know, seriously, join the forums is our number one thing. Please Absolutely. join up and and join in. And uh, let us know what you think of the show, or give us an iTunes review. Those always help. Well, yeah, we haven't. We've gotten some. We haven't gotten any mm-hmm. uh, recently, uh, or we have gotten a few, but they're they're kind of far more. between. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the the Garage Hammer stores always. Open. We still have dice. I know we haven't gotten the. Daniel went to college, and <laughs> so, is he the mail guy? No, Daniel's our our tech guy. Yeah, Daniel, yeah. yeah. So he went away this year. Like, he finished up at community college and went away to college. So he's not like a 20-minute drive away where we can sit and fix problems. Sure. So the the things like the dice, the extra page just to set up and get all the dice and get uh, the sales I set see. up and stuff. Yeah, I got nothing. So, you got to um, get a hold of that, Elf. I'm trying. <laughs> um, so basically, if you guys want dice, I've got dice. I got about 300 left. Uh, out of the thousand, I'm telling you, those dice roll hot. They do. They're they're really good dice. Yep. Uh, Garage Hammer makes no claim to the validity of the rolling of the dice. <laughs> right. um, but uh, so, just seriously, t- uh, just email garagehammer at live dot com or email me directly, David at garagehammer dot net. I mean, wait, li- uh, yeah, yeah live right. Yeah, okay. Yep. Or Chris, you at garagehammer dot net. If you want some dice, um, we ship it for as cheap as possible. Like we don't, you know, we just get them out there. Right. Um, if you're not in the continental U.S., 
uh, I had no idea that shipping out of the country. I mean, it's like a expensive. base rate of like almost fifteen bucks yep. base rate. So uh, if you want them and you're not in the U.S., my suggestion is if you got a gaming group, see if anyone else wants them. Honestly, I I only charge what it costs me to ship them, and I know people because people call them like it's that much to ship. I'm like, dude, it's expensive. I'm not gouging you. I'm not making a dime off shipping it to yep. you. Um, but they are nice dice. They are <laughs> so nice. If you want them, please that. contact us. Other than that, we will be back on the 10th of November with the rest of the Dark Elf Review. Indeed, we will. And please don't forget also, uh, on the forums, uh, let us know what you would want to see to make, uh, what would you want to see in your local Games Workshop store to make it the best Games Workshop store you've ever gone into. Absolutely. Also, the contest is still running, right? Uh Oh, oh, that's right. We got to talk to Donovan. We got to pick a winner. But and as of now, as of you're listening to this, the contest is still open. Yeah, and check on the forums though, because once we talk to Donovan, we will post a closing date right. for it. On, we will tweet and close a posting date and put it on our Facebook page yep. when the contest is. It's got to end soon. I totally spaced. Well, the dark elf stuff. Yeah, kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, so oh. there you go. All right, uh, folks. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll talk to you in a bit. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at GarageHammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at GarageHammer.net. And you can reach both of us through GarageHammer at Live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.